Well, you know what impresses me about it is the self-awareness. Oh, my God. Where, whereas, like, when I was 14, I, I'm, I'm impressed by my own son's self-awareness, too. I just feel like that that is something, it, it is, to me, a very tangible way that generationally uh, we're improving. And I think we've always yeah. been improved like that. Like, I've, you know, just to go back 100 years, like when my grandfather went into the coal mines after eighth grade, I don't think he was that self-aware about it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he was like, oh, what was me? You know, it's like, oh, that's what you do. I never hesitate to bring it up because I know my grandfather, nothing would please him more to know that I consider hard work sitting in a <laughs> chair in a basement. It is. It's amazing how complicated the world is. Well, anyway, we're here to simplify it for everybody. Sure. <laughs> Sure. There was a. We got a lot to talk about. We had there was the Apple event last week, so I feel like that's a I good, heard of that. It's a good framework for this. I've got more I want to talk to you about, but uh, let's see. I, I I just did it last week when I wrote about it. I did it in the order Apple announced the stuff. I, I sometimes I don't know what to do if I'm doing like my thoughts and ob- observation type posts. Should I put them in the order? You know, like hey, what do people most want to hear about? Right, exactly. what's most important, and should I just do them in Apple's order? And I well, get it. Whole, so many things, too. This was like, yeah. here's a whole crapshoot of stuff that are only a few of which are related, and a lot of them are very interesting. Right, and Apple's stuff is, is it's not even like spin, per se. It's not like, oh, don't do it Apple's way because you don't want to let them dictate it. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's for showmanship, and they had like a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, like, seriously, like three products in the first three minutes. It was like, uh, I mean, the purple iPhone, what are you going to say? It's purple. I mean, it is nice. It, I, they sent me one to look at. Uh, it's very nice purple. Uh, I mean, they're so good with color. I mean, it, it really is a, just a very, very nice shade of purple that I personally would never buy. But, you know, what are you going to say? I don't blame it. No, it's gorgeous. It's Hi. gorgeous. No, I think it's great. I mean, this is this was the color uh, event, right? They're like, hey, it's okay to have some colors because we've just had a really boring year. So what if we we let you buy some things that are not just a few limited shades of gray and white? So I, 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 off the record, got to talk to some people at Apple after the event. And that, that came up and... It was, they sort of demurred on whether the colors, you know, and like the, the IMAX and the bright color. I got the impression that that was actually in the works before. And they just, you know, typical Apple, they don't want to say, but they completely agreed that it's serendipitous. Uh, that's the thing is that they wouldn't say, they, they never want to say when they make decisions. It's, it's like, of all the things they're secret about, their timelines for product decisions is like, the holiest of holies, but oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, because they would have been testing. I mean, they're always testing materials, we know. So to make to be able to mass produce these colors with these intensities and consistency on the material choices and blah blah blah, they've been testing it for three years or five yeah. years, and they got to a point where they felt they could actually deploy it. But right, I mean, and they have to build the you know the painting machines and everything, anodizing machines, everything they do. Yeah, and they've also clearly got like. Uh, I don't know if it's in uh, Alan Dye's team somewhere, but there's there's some team of tastemakers at Apple who are clearly like totally wired into the worldwide sense of what colors are hot. Oh, interesting, right? Yeah, uh, you know, and it's because that purple, right? That purple is a is a hot color. It is. It's not. It it's is not glaring. Right. Yeah. It is a very big color this year, and yeah. 
and they're so good at that. And then the other, the other companies just follow. Like I know that there's a a hundred different things that Samsung copies from the iPhone with their phones, but like their, the colors for their devices, it's like preposterous. Like, (laughs) like remember when Apple, the big thing was the rose gold, you know, and rose gold everywhere. And then like everything from Samsung came out rose gold, but not, not beforehand. It was anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Purple iPhone. All right. Purple iPhone. Podcast subscriptions. This hits closer to home for me, at least, because, you know, I do a podcast. I actually do a podcast that is subscription paid based. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. What do you think about it? Uh, well, you know, it, it's tricky. I mean, Patreon exists was what somebody said when this came out. And I, I think uh, podcasting now is more business models than it used to. So it's easier to easier to get money from people who want to give you money to support what you're doing and and or to get, you know, extras like additional episodes or special events or whatever. And I think, you know, Jason Stahl, I wrote a very thoughtful thing about it. I kind of defer to him on that because he's been, you know, he's part of and is running uh, subscription things for a, a lot of different networks right? or several, multiple networks. And I think there's this um, uh, podcasts are now multimedia, multi-format, multi-place things. So if you're a supporter of somebody's thing, a podcast may be the center of it, but then there may be all kinds of other stuff. There might be videos, downloads, live events, a Discord, uh, merchandise, physical and digital. Um, so it's a whole, uh, I think, successful podcasters or successful entrepreneurs of their brand may still have the podcast at the center, but the, the, that's not what provides them the most value in the sense of why people become members, because they can listen to the podcast often for free or get most of the podcast for free. So uh, that, you know, Apple's, I think what Apple has done is they've unlocked a really easy way for people who have not yet investigated it or haven't built a big enough audience to, you know, dive into Patreon or into one of the other, you know, kind of roll your system kind of things. Uh, like Ben Thompson does, or, uh, you know, there's lots of networks you could join, or not networks, but I'm mean, like, you know, Libsyn and all these different and, hosting uh, systems. Memberful is a big one, too, Member- that, that yeah. a lot of people in our sphere are, are use. Yeah, and it's great, right? So there's all these different things you could be part of or do it. So if you haven't done that yet, this is probably huge, and there's probably, you know, 200,000 podcasts where they might go, well, maybe I should enable this and occasionally record an extra episode, and maybe it'll bring in, you know, $1,500 a month. Um, I just wonder if it's, useful to people who have a big audience. Uh, you know, this is kind of the, it's the question about, uh, like, uh, Substack. Substack was kind of, you know, oh, it's a newsletter service. And it was like, oh, there's kind of a, getting a lot of big names. And it's like, oh, now they're paying advances to people and doing these deals. And they raised a bunch of money and suddenly newsletters are super hot and everybody wants in on it, even if the market is only going to be, I don't know, a few billion dollars a year. And there's, I don't know what the upside is for it. But so podcasts is an existing market. The advertising side is actually relatively small. It's growing very quickly still, but it's only in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think the big market there is for um, all the stuff, you know, especially like when live events come back or even online events where actually, you know, people have figured out how to get a thousand people to pay to come to a one or one and a half hour, essentially podcast taping with video. Uh, So there's, that world is growing maybe faster. But again, if you already have a podcast with the audience that makes it worthwhile to, you know, that's bringing in enough money from ads and other sources, then is Apple's solution anything? So I feel like it's a great way for them to try something out. And it's kind of the, um, a long tail solution. I don't think the big head there of people doing really, really well already are going to care much about it because it's another thing to feed. 
another mechanism to deal with. And the people are kind of in the what uh, Dave Sifri of uh, way back in Technorati he described it the magic middle is people who have a reasonable audience. He was talking about blogs, but a reasonable audience, but they're not huge, but th- but they have you know sizable and they can do something supportive. And my Wi-Fi blog was in that right. area. You know, I've had podcasts like New Disruptors for a while was like that where it wasn't. I didn't have a. Hundred thousands of downloads, but I had tens of thousands, and that was enough to bring in enough revenue to let me focus enough time and pay for editing and all the rest of it. So I, I don't, I don't know exactly who this first pass of podcast subscriptions serves, uh, but I don't think it's really you. Maybe, maybe it no. is for um, your paid podcast, but but I don't know. I mean, you already have a thing in place, and you don't have to give anybody any money, and you already reach an audience that knows you. <laughs> so maybe not. It took me a, it took me a while to really firm up my opinion about this podcast initiative subscriptions from Apple. Mm-hmm. And I would say first, it, it's very, it's not surprising to me, but it is uh, a relief that none of it seems the least bit destructive yes. to Apple podcasts as we know it, which in yeah. addition to being an app that you can use to listen to podcasts is also this stewardship of the iTunes directory and allowing it to be an open API. I mean, anybody who listens to ATP knows from from Marco Arment, who makes a third-party podcast player that uses the <laughs> iTunes API, that it's it's the backbone of the whole podcasting industry. Yeah. Android uh, podcast apps are allowed to and do use the iTunes directory. I mean, Google, for their own app, uh, I, you know, there's a certain point where it's, I think, distasteful. <laughs> You know, Google is big enough to build their own podcast directory, but like an indie uh, app can do that. And, and they haven't done anything that's the least bit destructive to that in terms of, oh, you know, now all of a sudden free podcasts don't show up because we really want to steer as many people as possible, podcast makers, to use this proprietary subscription thing. So I'm glad they didn't do that. So I feel like the worst case scenario is if the subscription thing is sort of a bust, no harm done to us as podcast listeners. No harm done to me as a podcast professional. For you know, it sounds weird, but it's I guess true. Um, so there's that, and I think that's good. And I don't think that being heavy-handed would do them any favors. But the weird thing about it is, I'm not quite sure who it is for. Right? Like you kind of got at this. Like if yeah. if you're more in that Kevin Kelly thousand true fans area where you're looking, and and uh, Craig Mon and I talked about this sort of demographic of creators extensively on the last episode of my show that was that was great i'm, a, I'm you probably know i'm a big i wanted craig to do the craig Modcast a number uh, of years ago and he he finally launched a podcast he didn't call it that and i'm you know devastated but you know what I, that's I sort of what put me in mind to talk to you about being on next because he got he, yeah i can't talk to craig i don't think we talk much typography on the show but we've been talking <laughs> i talked to Zeroff about the typography of his books and and then i that got me thinking about you anyway but that that thousand true fan idea it works yeah. and and, yeah. and the internet makes it possible in a way that it, it was it was possible on the local scale in the old pre-internet days where you could have like a band who was you know like big in Philadelphia and they could all every weekend they were playing somewhere and you know and they were they could make a living as musicians uh locally without having any national stature you know there you, you there are examples of that but for the most part you you couldn't like I couldn't do what I do without the internet there's just no yeah. way I couldn't I I could have my own printing press and print up 
Daring Fireball as a weekly zine, and it's I, I would not have enough customers who I could distribute it to. I really couldn't. Maybe it'd be more of a possibility if I'd moved to, you know, the Silicon Valley, and you know, but it's well, really hard. There was that guy who lived, uh, what was his name, Mark Anderson, who lived on, uh, I think he still does live on, on Bainbridge Island here in the Seattle area, or not Bainbridge, I'm sorry, Whidbey, which is a little more remote, you have to get there by ferry or driving from the north, and he ran, was it like technology news service, and it was a mailed newsletter, and he charged a fortune for it, and everybody in the world seemed yeah. to subscribe to it, there, but it was one guy, yeah, it was there, one guy there, could do that. There definitely were, there were expensive print newsletters before the internet but it, but it they was, were yeah it, it wasn't the yeah I don't i'll know. tell you here's something funny though the paid the podcast thing so uh you know i did new disruptors for a couple of years back several years ago and and um and you know did like 100 episodes it was great and people asked me if i'd reboot it and i did a kickstarter and raised enough money to, again to cover sort of editing costs and time and whatever you know and do some uh, live events and so forth and uh and did a year's run of it and i found the weirdest problem wasn't my interest because i love talking to people about how they find their own way to do their own thing like you know you were on the original run of it and there's just so many interesting people out there here's the reason i didn't keep doing it in the second boot a couple years ago could not get enough guests because nearly i wouldn't say all creators but kickstarter indiegogo to a a lower extent things like substack uh, member, member, memberful and uh, Patreon and a few other things, they basically have filled the zone for independent creators trying to figure out how to fund themselves. And if you can achieve a sufficient ignition for either part or all of your living, you have all these platforms to use, many of which take very little of your money. And if those don't work for you, there's almost no other way to do it. So it's not that independent creators have been locked out, whether they're cartoonists or podcasters or writers or whatever. It's more like the zone is full. So I would go try to find somebody who was doing anything unique that hadn't been done and charted their own course. It was like, well, I just use Patreon. And then I do this thing. It's like, oh, well, that's not as interesting to say, like, get 10 people on in a row who say, yeah, I use Patreon. That kind of solves everything for me. Uh, so that's where I think Apple's walking into that void where they're not void, but that filled space where they're saying, what are you doing different for people, Apple? And again, it may be useful for people who haven't done anything yet. And maybe there'll be some stars or some new things that come out of there, or maybe it produces enough revenue for smaller podcasters to produce a more vibrant and uh, broader, uh, less, you know, more niche podcasting market that doesn't have to achieve a level where people can put more of their time and effort in. So that, I don't know. I don't know. Well, and so I I just see that the in that in that market it's just it's just a non-starter to me that you yeah. don't you don't get a relationship with the people who are paying for it, right? And I, I I'm not yeah. I'm not faulting Apple for setting it up this way. Right. But I you know and it's but it's a long-standing complaint that independent developers who are used to the Mac world where you you know you buy the software from the software maker and they get your email and then when you lose your serial number or you have tech support, you know, they, they could see that you're a customer and they can offer you upgrade pricing and blah, blah, blah. I get the privacy angle that, nope, you, you subscribe, you subscribe to, with Apple. And all I find out as a podcaster with a paid podcast and Apple podcasts is now I have another $5 a month coming from somebody and I don't know who, but it doesn't work with that whole like, Hey, what if you do want to have live shows for your followers? What if you want right. to offer them, you know, if you're doing like a book, a physical book, right? Which you've done, which Craig Mott has done or, or, or a print, you know, like you're, uh, 
artist and you're doing prints to put on the wall, but you want to offer them to your members first, which is a super common, frequent thing to do that is like win, 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 right? Because it makes the people feel it's another source of income for the creator, but it makes the members feel good because they enjoy getting your work because they like your work, which is why they became a member. You know, you don't get that with this, whereas you do with all of these other systems. And then at the other end of the scale with like the super big Joe Rogan's and Dave Chappelle's and, you know, just whoever the biggest name podcast that you can think of. I I seriously wonder if I, I look at it and I just think, I thought the same thing with Joe Rogan, frankly, but I, yeah. I, I just look at it and think there it's great that no one company totally dominates podcasts, but because they don't, no one podcast, even, even Spotify, even iTunes is a big enough platform, right? Like if you're that big, like for me, my audience, can I say, can I, can I produce something for pay that would only work on Apple platforms? Yeah, definitely. In fact, it might be a waste of time for honestly, if I were to do something to do Android. (laughs) Yeah, Um, Yeah, absolutely. But on the other hand, why? If I could do it on the web, why not just do it on the web, right? But, but, which is how yeah. dithering works. But for the truly mega celebrities, can like a Dave Chappelle do a, sh- a paid show that oh, doesn't show up for Android users? Yeah, I mean, here's what I dig though. When you're describing that, I realize, oh yeah, this is the missing piece. Is Apple just needs to integrate? And I say just, but uh, the next like Apple Podcast subscriptions 2.0, what it offers is. In show notes, it offers Apple Pay to buy stuff, right? Mm. And if you're a subscriber, you can give them a discount on that. And then so the Apple Pay thing is like, hey, I'm Craig Maud, and this is my podcast. And if you're a member, you know, if you're a subscriber, you get X dollars off uh, my next book. Just open up your podcast app right now, go to iTunes, and you'll see a thing right there right now. And you can double tap, and you'll get the discount because you're a subscriber. If you're not a subscriber, subscribe right away. Then you can still get the discount. I mean, that is a powerful pull. And I don't mind, in, you know, and again, Apple is good about like that digital versus physical thing. So you'd probably have to pay them 30% as usual for a digital good. But if it's a physical good, maybe they'd let you put a different method of payment or let you use Apple Pay and it doesn't, you know, whatever. But but like that kind of power of buy a thing in the podcast app that I'm talking about right now or later go back to the podcast app because I'm driving or whatever, that would be a huge uh, integration, even if I don't know that person before they buy, when they buy, they have to, you know, I have to get their address or some limited piece of information that they've allowed uh, me to obtain in order to fulfill a thing. Yeah, but I don't understand how, how would it get to them because you don't know their address, right? Well, no, they'd have to, I mean, you know, and when you do an Apple Pay transaction, you have to get Oh, people, I see, Apple Pay, right? not, not an app. I, that, that was where yeah. I was missing. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so it would be, right. but it would be exactly right. that is that it's in, you know, you build it into the podcast app. And then it's an integrated thing where Apple still controls the privacy aspects and you're disclosed what you're providing as a buyer to the podcaster. Um, so it doesn't build a relationship like you're building a mailing list, but it builds a relationship like you can actually sell somebody something or get them to participate in something. So that might be a 2.0 uh, thing, but maybe not. Maybe this is just Apple you know, messing around because they want to test the waters and then they go and they buy Patreon or they <laughs> they buy the last independent podcasting company that's not available. I don't know. Something like that. I don't know. I just don't know that it's a good fit. And any the other thing, yeah. Ben Thompson and I touched on this, but it, we, we kind of, I kind of came to this conclusion at the end of the today's episode of Dithering, which is, yeah. well, wait, 
it, wouldn't the solution to this be an Android version of Apple Podcasts, you know, which right. they do for Apple Music? Right. And it it caused us to both double take while we were recording and double check and make sure that that wasn't a thing, you know, because there is, I know there's Apple Music. And would that be popular? I don't know. I mean, Apple's, I know. Apple's forays off their own platforms have been relatively uh, not not very popular i mean i you know safari for windows did not take off and it's it's one of those things like i don't know how many people even remember that there was safari for windows um but it's fascinating to think like and see what chrome did to the browser industry and think about the potential that was there and it just did not click with windows users i, I you know I, I'm not a Windows user. I don't. I don't know. I did. I, mean, I remember like kicking the tires somewhere where I saw Safari running on a Windows machine. But you know, it that wasn't popular. iTunes was kind of popular, but was it really popular because it was a good music playing app for Windows, or was it because you everybody wanted an iPod, and if you had a Windows PC, you'd, you'd therefore used iTunes. It seemed, and yeah. it also seems like the complaints from Windows users were just a magnified version of the complaints from Mac users, where it started as you know like a liked if not beloved app. And then as it grew in scope over the years, it became less and less popular. Oh, yeah, and it's still like that, right? Because iTunes is now just this giant mess on Windows because right. it's been broken up into its constituent parts and right. and rethought for Mac OS. But right. So now it doesn't Windows, even still, it doesn't yeah. even have the focus of Mac designers trying to yeah. at least you know well, make it. If you want to work with your photos on Windows, just open up iTunes. Like right. wait, why why would I do no. So, so I don't even know if an Android version of Apple Podcasts would help because if it doesn't actually get, you know, the fact that it could exist doesn't mean, I don't know. It, it, the only thing that would pull it would be something like, you know, to subscribe to this podcast, you need Apple Podcasts for Android. And right. then so how does, who is promoting that where millions of Android users suddenly download the app or does apple do android specific i mean i don't know yeah it's you don't you can't figure out how people would get it so an apple podcast would have to be huge like apple tv plus is a great example though john because i was researching uh you know i've written a million books now so i've always got like whenever <laughs> apple breathes i have to like go back and update four different books and so i was looking at take control of apple id this is one of my favorite books because I wrote it because Joe Kissel and I were kicking around, like, what's the next book idea? And it's like, what's the pain points? Like, Apple ID. So I wrote a book about, you know, here's how, here's how to solve, you know, half the book is solving problems. Uh, but so I was digging into Apple TV Plus for an update. And I was like, okay, what platforms can you use it on? And the answer is like, goddamn everything. It is the most ridiculously well-supported thing Apple has ever made. I think, arguably, you could probably play it on a Android watch with a browser in it. Like, you know, it's... It's any, it's practically any browser, any platform, any smart TV with the right support. Like Apple TV Plus works everywhere because they've got the content pull. I want to watch Ted Lasso. I need Apple TV Plus. Let me watch another thing I want to. And Apple says yes, where most of the time Apple says no. So that's what they'd have to do with podcasts is have compelling original content or exclusive content that was so compelling that people sought it out and they downloaded in the millions onto their Android or phones or Windows devices. Hmm. I mean, Ted Lasso, I don't know. I, I suspect Ted Lasso resulted in, you know, I want to say like a million 
Apple TV Plus subscriptions or installations or whatever of things. I wonder. I wonder. I mean, and that was one of the early announcements too, right? That was was that one of the uh, maybe there's more announcements in those first five minutes that I'm giving them credit for. They they pre-announced that the next season will start in July. Uh, there was I made a, my family stay. Holy cow! We were just like the produ- you know one of the producers is on Twitter, and of course, as you can on Twitter, you're like, hey, when's the next season coming? He's like, oh, it'll be this fall. Don't worry. Like he said this week ago, like it's coming. We've done it. Like Jesus. And then when it was July, I was like, oh, yay! Don't have to wait till September for it. Uh, it is funny. I, I wish I could give credit. I, it's sort of an obvious observation, but somebody somebody put it so well. Which was that, hey, remember when before Apple TV Plus came out and there were a handful of stories and, and like the only example of original content we had was the carpool karaoke <laughs> and and the weird no offense to it. And yeah. the weird show about uh it was like uh app I forget what it was called, Planet of the Apps. Remember this? Oh yeah, with it, Gwyneth Paltrow and some other people yeah, who are gonna be what's the show that's on network TV that's like this where where like inventors come in with their crazy ideas and, Shark Tank. Yeah, Shark Tank. So it was Shark like Tank. Shark Tank for apps, but like yeah. with Gary Vaynerchuk, who I love, but Oh yeah, yeah. You know, he's, uh but it was not it was not people who took and i didn't take it i didn't think like well i think these two shows are probably emblematic of everything apple will come up with i thought they i just thought they can't be but it's not an unreasonable it wasn't unreasonable for people to jump to the conclusion that maybe they were emblematic of what apple was coming up with and while before any of these shows came out there were a couple of stories i think the wall street journal i think trip mickle had the one that was the most widely mm-hmm. reported that apple was uh, Eddie Q and tim cook were being too hands on and were giving these notes tim cook in particular was giving notes that they should can't you make this nicer and and people oh, that's right. are, then there was the rumors made no new, not new nudity but no uh <clears throat> no adult themes or something where right? it was all going to be nicey nicey stuff that kind of came out yeah like was. something like that and it's like and in hindsight that's just really has not played out at all yet nobody's no. retracted it I, right? I was watching an episode of dickinson and the other people in the room and i was like holy okay i need to turn this off right now. I, I haven't <laughs> seen that yet but it's, it's it's really good it? and it, it's ama- it's actually totally amazing it's an hbo it's the kind of thing you'd be like oh you could only see that on something like hbo before which yeah. is a lot of what you say about apple tv plus yeah, yeah. servant is the one i think of um oh, i haven't seen that it's well we're addicted to it i think it's pretty good it, it's interesting because it's a horror drama but oh. the, but the episodes are only a half an hour and i oh, i find that format to be great. fascinating and yes like all streaming things and again what a boon to the creative arts sometimes they're 33 minutes sometimes they're 27 minutes you don't have to make it exactly 27 colon zero zero every single episode oh it's been so great i have so many series right. on different streaming services that's a, i think it's an excellent point right it's but like, there are some yeah. r- really really sick twisted gory uh, perverted stuff in servant and it's like but we i think i think anyway. people say like <laughs> apple had never made any kind of content of its own like the closest thing was stuff they did during the apple keynote and it's like and now we're a studio it's like well what's that going to be like it's going to be like our you know it's going to be these very limited things and then they've they've Totally proven us wrong. Those who thought it was going to be somewhat boring or anodyne. Yeah, totally. I, I you know, I think they hired good people and let them yeah. do their work. You know, which is sort of what Eddie Q said in response to those accusations. He's like, <laughs> I'm not giving people notes. I don't. What do I know he about right. he, he, his his response? Paraphrasing, but he was like, I don't yeah. know anything about making TV shows. So I found good people who know how to oh make who know how to make good TV shows and. They're, they're oh, it's like charge. the opposite of Quibi, right? Is that they? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's totally like the opposite ex- of Quibi. <laughs> 
But anyway, I, how funny though is it that even though there are several counterexamples of shows with, you know, truly adult content and themes, um, that, that the breakthrough hit of Apple TV Plus is this show that is truly about <laughs> the nicest guy and feeling good about yourself in a way that is not corny. And it, 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 it is kind of exactly what, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of F word in it, but you know, that's yeah. okay. They didn't, they didn't sign that, but no, yeah, it's like, it's a, it's like deconstructing toxic masculinity. Like it's a show that's both incredibly enjoyable and also shows, it's it's like a blueprint of being a good man and becoming a better man, and we just watch it, and we're just in, we've watched it twice as a family here, and we're just in awe of it. And you know, everyone is ultimately redeemable, and I have feelings about season two, like like redemptions that are yet to come. Uh, maybe with the exception of the guy, the old guy who used to own the team, R- Rupert, played by yeah. the wonderful uh, um, what's his Anthony Head? No, uh, uh, yeah, Tony. It's the guy from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the. Um, the uh, Folgers instant coffee commercials, yeah. but it wouldn't surprise <laughs> wouldn't surprise me if he sees if we if we see another side of him in season two, right? I, right, because they're setting us right. It's going to be, but it's it's one of the best TV. I mean, I put it up there with Good Place. It's, it's one of the best pieces of TV made the last few years. It's uh, it's really unbelievable, and you could just see I and I it's I, I'm not going to pretend like I know Tim Cook well, but it's like he he wears part of his person. He's very private, but. You can just tell that he loves Ted Lasso, right? You can just tell he just loves it. It's kind of a show written for him, isn't it? I didn't think about that. So you right. said that. Like, it's like it's about football and you know uh, football and fish out of water and being good to other people and and being creative and it's like he must have got like three episodes of watching it and just been like this, this, this is what I was talking about. <laughs> oh man, that's great. Yeah, right. it's uh what a delight during pandemic year to have that. All right. Speaking of a delight, let me take a break and thank our first sponsor. Oh, I don't want to put down any of the other sponsors on this episode. And I don't want to put on, put down any previous sponsors. I love all of the sponsors of the talk show, but yes, please might be at the top of the list. (laughs) If you make your own coffee at home. And at this point, honestly, it's the whole saga. Who doesn't? You've got to try fresh roasted beans from the crew at Yes Please. They spell it. It's pronounced Yes Please, but it's spelled Y-E-S-P-L-Z. They are longtime coffee nerds. Um, their founders, Tony Kinesny. You Kinesny. might no Kinesny. 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 I've got a note. I've got a note. Kinesny. Kinesny. You wouldn't believe it. He's he's a friend of mine. I'm sorry to interrupt. Well, you maybe it is. I don't know. No, I don't know. But I could be. Wrong. I'm sorry. I'm totally wrong. He's better known as Tonks, and you I'm might sorry. remember the old Tonks Coffee Company. Uh, also, his partner Sumi Ali. They are veterans of coffee's quote third wave scene. I don't even know what that means, but they are fanatical about roasting great coffee. Tonks Coffee was great back in the day. Yes, please. Coffee today is even better. I, honest to God, do not know how I would have gotten through the last year without. Yes, please, getting delivered to the house, especially about a year ago when it was really sort of like, hey, you don't even know if it's safe to go outside, blah, blah, blah. Ah, what a relief. It is fantastic coffee. I am drinking some right now. I actually brewed, to keep up with Glenn's energy, I had to brew a second pot of coffee. (laughs) Uh, But I am literally drinking some right now. And they believe, here's the thing about this. They're total, total coffee nerds. But part of their nerdiness is they honestly believe that brewing a perfect cup of coffee should be easier than making like a box of Kraft macaroni and cheese. Just hot, really hot water, fresh ground coffee. 
there's a couple simple, simple ways to make it. It is so easy. They're not trying to tell you to buy some kind of $500 gadget and spend half an hour just to get like a tiny little espresso thing of coffee. No, I, I brew a whole pot of coffee. It takes me like four minutes and like 30 seconds of that is paying attention. But man, their coffee is great. What you do, you sign up. Go over to yesplease.coffee. What a domain name. Y-E-S-P-L-Z dot coffee. And just use the promo code FIREBALL. And you can take five bucks off your first shipment. Banish bad coffee from your kitchen. Give Yes Please Coffee a try today. It's a subscription service. You could just buy some if you want to try it. But the subscription service, that's that's where the money's at. That's that's the thing. Because then it just shows up. You figure out your schedule. And if you guess wrong, if you're like, ah, two, tw- like one 12-ounce bag every two weeks and like you're running low, switch to like the bigger bag. Maybe try 16. Or maybe if it's too much coffee for you, you can switch to like every three weeks or something like that. It's easy to adjust on the fly. You don't have to like cancel and then resubscribe. You just log in and you adjust the frequency. And if you're going away or something like that because uh, you've got your vaccination and you're ready to actually leave the house, you can just put it on pause. It is so easy to manage. You get great coffee just sent to your house every on a schedule that is right for you. I, I'm Again, I'm drinking it right now. Go to Yes Please. Dot coffee and remember that promo code fireball. Can, can I just say I met Tonks in Seattle uh, over eleven years ago? I think now I wrote the very first coffee shop turning Wi-Fi off to promote people talking and free up table story. I wrote the first. I'm going to stake that I wrote the first. And Tony was the brewer or the roaster there. And I met. That's when I met him. And um, are you sure anyway, it was but, only eleven years ago? Maybe it was a little long. It might have been no, longer. Might be longer. It was for the New York Times and a local yeah. reporter, a guy who worked for the, uh, Sky Brian who worked for the Seattle Post Intelligencer said, uh, and this might be a pure alley. You should look into it. And I wrote something on a blog and my editor at the New York Times, where I was writing at the time said, Hey, you should write that for us, which is the weird, it never happened before or since. And I wrote it for them and it went viral and like the story got ripped off and translated into Bulgarian and like run in a Bulgarian newspaper and everyone just kept calling this poor cafe and you know, what are you doing? And then I, anyway, we used to speak and then like for the next 10 years, it seemed like every week there was a uh, cafe turns off internet story. Yeah. And then, you know, then everyone had cell access and hotspots. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. that's, that's Tonk's origin story. Was that, uh, oh yeah. We had a coffee shop like that here and right next to it you know, really high traffic spot next to a park. And, and they, they're the first one I remember in Philadelphia that had it. <laughs> and I know that it sounds like, oh, roll your eyes. It's a bunch of hipsters who don't want, but it really was appropriate because they were, they were busy without people working there. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's not to say that there's anything wrong with working in coffee shops. I, I've worked in coffee shops who hasn't, you know, it's great, but it's, it wasn't what they were going for, right? Like they're that's they, exactly they wanted a culture, and it was a you know relatively it's a it's still there relatively small coffee shop, and if they could fill it up with people who are there to socialize and talk to people they know, you know, yeah, it's just funny funny trends. Yeah. But anyway, remember, Tom's remember, great guy. remember coffee? Remember going into coffee shops? Uh, well, Ow. I'm back now. I'm I'm going into coffee shops. We're oh man, I'm getting close. No, uh, we're back. I, I, oh, that's great. I love that. What else was in the news? Let me see here. Um, there's the Apple Card family thing. Yeah, I was intrigued by that. I, I, it's it's just a weird. It's like Apple's so weird. It's like, hey, now you can share your card with other members of the family. It's like, you mean like we've been able to do for thirty or fifty years? I was years. I was really I hoping that by posting, yeah. hey, I'm not even sure what this means. That I would yeah. get the because usually when I do that, I, my readers are so helpful, and it's just my lazy way of doing research. But crickets chirping on this, like how 
it sounds like what they're doing is something new, but is that Apple hyperbole or no? Like, is this different than like my wife's and my joint Amex account? And if so, I how? think it's. I think it is. Um, I think what they're emphasizing is that, <clears throat> see, like normally with a credit card. I mean, you know this, right? So normally with a credit card, you open an account. You typically don't open it jointly. I mean, sometimes you have to put right. down both parties' income in a married couple or whatever, and you can get extra cards uh, and you for family members and whatever. But somebody's usually like the person who the card is in their name, like the main account holder. Primary card holder, right? Yeah, and I think this is more like they really are trying to make this like a family card. So they're providing online ways to control limits for kids. They're providing like charts and graphs and data. And it's, they keep talking about co-owners instead of like a primary owner and sharing. So I think it is a little, I think in effect, it will seem the same. I think in nature, it's actually a bit different and probably affects even like your credit rating, a little different credit report and so forth. But um, I do, I do love the idea that they're making it. I mean, it really, you know, if you've got a family like you and I do, I think that's the issue is like, if you have kids, this transforms how you manage like the budgets and controls and what they can do with a credit card. So it's much more of a training credit card than most credit card companies offer for any card. Right. So that's kind of, I think that's my take, but I don't think we've seen the impact of it yet because Apple has let you, you know, they've added those ways to, um, uh, to set up uh, purchase amounts and so forth for people already in your family. And so as a result, this is like an extension of that. I don't think it seems as different. It's just all managed on on one card and you get the higher percentage uh, cash rebate. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I gave them a hard time and it was like, what's next? You know, when they announced that they're getting into credit card business, payday, yeah. lo- payday loans at the Apple store. <laughs> I, uh, you know, uh, and I still am ambivalent about it. And I still feel like if there's an area where they should really be able to brag and lead the way, it should be on the APRs that they offer. Oh, Um, God. Yeah, it's absurd. Like, I I think that, you know, that the, the, uh, what does APR stand for even? Annual uh, annual percentage rate, annualized percentage yeah, rate? Yeah, annualized percentage rate. 10.99 10. to 21.99 as of April 1st, 2020, their footnote says. Right. I, that's 21.99 is... Usurious. It, it is. It is. It really... I think it was. I think like I, you could go back to like when they made up the word usury, you know, that, yeah, 22%. <laughs> yeah, that's usury. That's, that, that's not right. I don't, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, they've got... So the credit card companies and, and Apple specifically in its financial analysis of our transactions, has more information and can do more data transformation than whatever. And they cannot manage risk enough to say, here's a 3.99% credit card because we trust you, or 6% or whatever. They cannot manage risk well enough to issue that to people. That seems bizarre. It's something that would be a reasonable uh, amount of interest to carry. I mean, it's, and again, when I was younger, I I had a ridiculous amount of credit card debt at one point. I mean, never enough to like actually like get into bankruptcy, but enough where it was like, oh, what a, you know, it, a huge nut to pay every month. Yeah. Um, and paying that off, getting out of it was like, oh, never again. So I get it. Like I'm not, it's not like a holier than now. Don't ever carry a balance on a credit card. I definitely did it, but it's like if you can choose not to, you'd be insane. Even at the the best interest rates they offer, like eleven or twelve percent, that's really high. It's not yeah, a good you know, deal. PayPal does better. I know. I get you get these these uh, unprovoked things from PayPal. I have a business account there, and they're like, "Hey, do you want to?" Uh, 
a credit line of, you know, I don't know, it's like $2,500 and we'll give you, you know, $100 if you use it. And the interest rate is it was like 7%. And I was, I always pay off balances on the business side, particularly. And I was like, yeah, I'm about to, you know, for my tiny type museum project, I was like, oh, I need to send somebody 800 bucks. I'm like, yes, I'll take $100 free. And, you know, it impacts your credit limit or rating a little bit or whatever. So I took it. They gave me 100 bucks or whatever. It's like, I think it was $100. And I paid it off within the period of time that it was 0%. So I didn't pay anything for it. And they just gave me money. And I was like, well, you trusted me. You gave me a low interest rate and you gave me money to do this. And you're PayPal, right? You're not even Apple and you did that. So why, you know. Uh, well, it's funny. I don't want to turn this into an episode about credit, building up your credit, uh, because I, I don't really know. But, we, but we bought a house like five years ago, four or five years ago, and we were going through the mortgage process. We only had, my wife and I only had one credit card and we had only had that one credit card, an American Express card for like, uh, I don't know, eight, nine years. And they were like, well, you should have more credit cards. And I, I grew up thinking yes. that that was, that was the, you know, that having lots of credit cards was bad credit. Like, ooh, red flag. This guy's got six, six lines of credit from six no, different no, banks. They want you to you show you're credit worthy by having credit that you're not using. So you want to have, probably want you to have like $60,000 worth of credit limits across your cards and you're using like 10 or 20 of it at any given time or none. But you have to have them open. It's just, it's the weirdest thing. It's I don't like know. You're more credit worthy when you have too much debt than and you are when you don't. I, I remember my wife was talking to this woman from the mortgage company. She's like, well, don't you, what about like a Target card or something? And my wife is like, are you out of your mind? We're buying a house. What, why would it matter <laughs> if I have a Target card? <laughs> You know, it, it, it was crazy. And we're like, well, wait, what should we do? Should, I mean, like, do, should we get another credit card? And they're like, oh no, not now. Not when we're actually looking at you for a mortgage. And it all worked out, you know, and, and, you know, it, it, it worked out in the end. But afterwards, once we had the mortgage, we were like, all right, I guess we got to get more credit cards. And, you know, (laughs) now we've got like an American (laughs) Airlines one that we only use when we're buying airfare, you know, and it's like, it's so, it, it's all worse. And, and of course, I bought, I got the Apple card because I figured I should write about it. Now I've got that. I, it was so much easier when I had one credit card because then I never, I, I never had to think. I never, never, ever had to think. Just here. We were, we were earning miles for a while. We had a United card and we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of United miles, which we someday will use to go back to Europe, I hope. Uh, but I've now have cards where I get the Apple card, another one where I get 2% for transactions and the Apple one, I'll do it whenever I can use Apple Pay. And the other one is when I have to do like an in-store and I, I've got Face ID on my phone. And I'm like, so I'll put in or tap the other card, city card, uh, and just get 2%. I'm like, I want 2% back on everything I do because I don't need miles right now. And right. so I'm, you know, I'm getting 2% cash back. So I'll take that. Yeah. Or 3%. I, I was that. doing the thing where I was using my Apple card for all the Apple Pay payments because you get 3% or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Or, or I don't know what, where you get it from. Yes. You, you get 3% you from get 2% Apple. 2% for Apple Pay, but 3% from Apple and right. selected partners. So yeah. T-Mobile, so I switched to T-Mobile and yeah, uh, I changed it. So now I only use that card to pay my Apple bills. So like my iTunes monthly, anything I buy from Apple, I put on that card and anything else I just don't. Cause it, and it, the extra 1% just wasn't worth it. It's like, I just, just, just let me use my one credit card. Anyway, now Apple's in the credit card business and they've improved it. <laughs> what else? Is, what is next on the list? Air tags. Oh man, yeah, I'm I, I'm really into this because yeah. So I I've written you know I've written about like find my Mac for years and years, and uh, so I was totally prime when the COVID nineteen exposure notification thing came out. I don't get briefings from Apple that much anymore. 
And uh, and one of the folks over there was like, hey, you need to be heads up about this thing because we know you do this. And I was like, oh, okay, what is it? And, you know, and this, the COVID tracking business was basically find my COVID uh, uh, <laughs> exposure. It was the same thing. Was, I mean, much more sophisticated and security uh, leaning, like privacy preserving. Um, but AirTags is basically, you know, it just relies on that same thing they built a couple years ago, which is a distributed crowdsourced uh, anonymous Bluetooth beacon based uh, system, um, but adding in ultra wideband and um, NFC to it and, you know, tagging it to uh, devices you carry with you. So it's pretty slick. I, I, I mean, it, it's what I mean. I realized Tiles came up with this before, like they were the original developer of it, but I, there's a critical mass thing. And it's like suddenly, uh, you know, as Apple rolls this out, you've got, I don't know, 100 million. Well, probably hundreds of millions of devices worldwide that will send back information oh, it, about it, it is these a, things. It is, in fact, a billion devices that that it's a billion that can yeah. that are qualified. Yeah, are, uh, which is crazy. Like somebody yeah, that's wild. Yeah, talking to, to Apple last week, they're like, "I know it billion. sounds crazy, but it's actually up to a billion uh, devices that are participating." It is that's amazing. It is truly a fascinating system, and it's not uh, unlike a lot of crypto type stuff it's not even that hard to sort of see as a layperson you know get up in front of a white whiteboard and start talking all right these identifiers rotate the identifiers there's no backwards table mapping the identifier exactly to you so even if you know the identifier of an air tag it's just a unique thing and then it calls home and home just says okay air tag one 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 two three four is here Nobody knows whose it is, and you know it's it, it, somebody walks by with an iPhone, and the iPhone picks up the beacon. It's like, oh yeah, there it is. It's right there. Yeah, you know, it's literally like if you'd written a tag number on a piece of equipment, you owned, you had like a little pink tag you stuck on it and said one seven five three nine two whatever, right? And someone, if they found it, they picked it up and they go like, oh, and they just like mail it into some central address, postage paid, and that central address is like, oh, that belongs to. It's even more secure, or private than that. That belongs to Glenn, and they call me up and say, hey, we found it, or more likely, I would call up and say, hey, do you have an item? And it's got this number on it they say yeah say, would you send that to me sure i mean it's it's practically that simple with more cryptography and an anonymity but it's kind of like a you know a, a a global lost and found system where the person finding it has no idea what they've found they don't touch it you know it's just they don't even know their device is transmitting these anonymous tags back to apple and the person who lost it doesn't have to disclose anything uh, about themselves in order to claim it just the proof that they you know, yeah. essentially they tell your machine tells Apple when you're using the find my system on your end, it tells Apple like, Hey, cryptographically, you should release any information that matches this pattern. And Apple says, that's great. We don't know what's in it, but here you go. We know there's a match and that's the only thing they know about you, but they don't know the coordinates or any other data inside. Uh, I know that Apple has to keep rotating some of their big messaging things because you can't just keep repeating yourself time after time. But, you know, yeah. for a while they had the a thousand no's for every yes that they emphasized once or twice. And then for a while, <laughs> I'm not sure which came first, but there was, That's great. there was a couple of things that was only Apple, right? Only Apple could do blank. But this, this find my network, I, I really do want to say is sort of an only Apple thing. Like who else could do this? I mean, Google has, the technical chops for sure, but I don't know if it's feasible for them to to work that into Android without designing the actual Android handsets for everybody that's, around the world. 
That's my thinking. It's also, I think the ultra wideband aspect of it is, uh, you know, is a huge deal, even though, <clears throat> excuse me, even though it's only part of the product. I mean, I guess, you know, this is like, this is a multi purpose or multi part device. It's, you know, here's how you find something that's nearby to you because of ultra, ultra wideband. And then there's the Bluetooth LE part, which people could replicate. But right. I mean, so tiles and again, no offense to the company. They came up with a very clever idea. They implemented it. And they just, you know, do they, I don't know what critical mass they have. Like they have a yeah. lot of people using tiles, but they don't have a billion people uh, running tiles app. And that's what they needed to make this work. And so I know why they're peeved about it. And I think with this in place and Apple opening it up to third parties, we're going to see, you know, does Apple cut them some deal? Do they settle and just say, look, we're going to make you a featured, <laughs> we'll put them in the app store or Apple store and whatever, but this is, it doesn't diminish the utility of a third-party product that Apple's selling this, because Apple is selling their own very specific thing. There's not even a key ring holder on the device, you know, so it's a very idiosyncratic version of it. Tile's complaint is, you know, and they're they're in cahoots with Epic, you know, with yeah. the, the app, what's the app, Alliance, whatever it's called, uh, I forget the name of it. <laughs> The Alliance of Sore Losers, uh, <laughs> Sour Grapes Commission, App Fairness Alliance. Is that is that, that, sounds, that sound right? Maybe that's it. It's yeah, it's something generic. But right, but you know, their their contention right is that Apple is denying them. Oh, Coalition for App Fairness. Coal- the, okay, yeah. There we go. So it's uh, People's uh, Judean History Front. Epic, Spotify, and Tile are at the forefront of it. Um, but Tile's complaint about this on. Sort of antitrust arguments or abuse of their position as the platform vendor. Like, it sucks to be Tile, but that doesn't mean, like, there's only two other ways to take Tile at their word. One would be to allow Tile to write and install system level software for the iPhone. But even if, you know, like in Mac parlance, like system extensions, right? So that they could run in the background and do things that, that only Apple can do. Mm-hmm. Because they they can, you know, like when you bring your AirTag next to your phone and you get the little pop-up from the bottom that's nicely animated, a third party can't do that. A third party can't install something that is just always listening so that if if your product is brought within an inch or two of it, no matter which app you're in, it brings it up. That's just not how iOS software works. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if Apple were to loosen rules for iOS and allow system-level extensions like that, which they're not going to do, or if they granted a one-time exception to Tile so that Tile could do it, which, again, is even less likely, it still doesn't give Tile the billion-device network because what is Apple going to actually bake Tile's code into the version of iOS that's pushed out to all billion users? No, I mean, of course not. It doesn't make I, any sense. So there's no way. Mm-hmm. Like it sucks if you're Tile, but this is the sort of feature that is so much better if it's built into the system. And there's nothing yeah. if you don't if you don't own the system, it, it, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, and Apple allow, allowing third party access to the Find My system is the right solution. And I think you could argue, you being Tiles, or maybe you being a reasonable person, maybe Apple should have done this, you know, maybe this should have been considered at the launch when they started the crowdsourced thing that seemed very Tiles-like without their own tracker. They should have said at that point, our goal ultimately is to allow third-party access that doesn't violate 
the privacy of users and yet provide or, or drain batteries and yet provides the same experience that we have in our MFI program and our blah blah blah. They could have said that, and then they still could have taken you know eight to fifteen months to build it out. And I think it took a bit longer than that. I think they announced it last uh, summer, right? That they were going to allow access, and then the recent announcement was, "Hey, we have partners now, but they're still not available, but they will be soon." And then you know we'll, we'll approve other folks after that. So, I mean, this is at some level and maybe provoked by Tile's actions, this is probably the ideal outcome, except that it's a year later than Tile's or somebody else might have liked, right? I mean, it, 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 it's a never, it's an evergreen topic in tech. And I think it's, it seems like it's different now because we're talking about these big tech companies like Google and Amazon and, and Apple as being more influential than at any point in the past, certainly mm. more than, you know, 15, 20 years ago, right? Now, you know, ExxonMobil isn't the biggest company in the world. They're not even on the list. It's all of these companies that own these platforms. Their influence is greater. But the issue is still kind of the same. I mean, we in the Apple community still call it uh, Sherlocking, where, you know, there was a uh, Apple came out with uh, a product called Sherlock, and it was sort of like desktop search. And then there was a third-party app called Watson that did it a lot better. And then like a, a year or nine months later, the next version of Sherlock was a lot more like Watson and just, you know, copiously borrowed good ideas. And because it was built in, kind of put an end to Watson as a feasible product. It's, it happens over and over again. I've written about, I remember the, the, remember the confabulator thing, um, there was like, yeah. they called them gadgets. You'd, you'd use HTML and JavaScript and see, or no, the, theirs wasn't HTML. It was like an XML format, but sort of like HTML. And you'd use yeah, JavaScript. Easy to make. Easy to make little gadgets that you could put all over your desktop. And then Apple came out with dashboard with widgets for your Mac. And you've uh, argued about, I think you've written this exact thing. <clears throat> so tell me if I'm quoting you back to you, which is there are some features that are obvious that Apple will eventually implement and may choose not to. But if the, but you know, if you build a feature like that into a piece of hardware or software, you're going to get Sherlocked probably because right. it's a matter of time. But there's other stuff that's non-obvious. And when Apple does those, then it's like, ah, oh, do they really, do they really have to kill that company because it's not a core thing and it's not obvious that it makes sense for Apple. And I think we have a lot more. Sherlocking of obvious features, and I, and Sherlock wasn't one of those. Like Apple, the the things that Sherlock did, Apple didn't offer most of that stuff, and then they suddenly did. They like put out a portmanteau of right. things that were very Sherlock like. Um, but like or Watson, tiles, Watson being the third party one. Oh, I'm sorry, Watson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. And so the um, th- that's what I wonder about um, w- with something like this. Like is Air is is AirTag trying to Sherlock tiles, and it's. It, that would be true if Apple wasn't also opening up its ecosystem. Like, did Apple wait to release AirTag until the point at which it could legitimately say, we have a licensing program into play place and we have people in the pipeline who will be able to also release stuff that is an equal player in our ecosystem? Uh, and again, that could have been provoked by the, the, you know, the threats and the congressional hearings and whatever, but that gives them some kind of deniability because they're not killing Tile. Tile could easily compete with its feature set and form factor and other things uh, with AirTag. It seems like to me, right? You know, well, I don't know though. It seems like they're, you know, they could. I, I do think that that's why AirTags took so long to come out. I mean, I know that it's been rumored for like two years, and there were signs of it in the in, in the OS from like two years ago. Um, it really, and and reports from six, seven, eight months ago from rumor 
sites that, hey, the air tags seem ready to go, you know, and there were pictures of them and, and the ones that came out last week look exactly like the ones that were supposedly ready to come out. <laughs> yeah. I, so it, it, it honestly passes oh, and- the Occam's razor sniff test that they were waiting for the yeah. made, made for iPhone third party thing to be ready, which doesn't seem like it was ready until earlier this month. No, it's true. And Apple, I should say, this is the, this is the, I think the key factor though. And this is where I think you'd have to say, you know, what's fair here is Apple did remove tile from the retail stores. So that was like uh, a year and a half ago. So I think, was that an issue? You know, was that retaliation against tile being involved and trying to get the U.S. government involved? And so there is something there. Like if tile became, so let's say, so here's the scenario is if tile became uh, part of this, you know, licensing program and could use the Find My Network, would Apple, you know, A, would Apple undo it? And B, if so, would Apple stock them in the in the Apple stores again, just as even a nice thing? Like, here's another product that does this. Like, here's our Find My selection of of things from seven different companies, including Tile. Right. I don't know. I mean, are they uh, are they going to put these four thousand dollar Van Moof bikes in the store? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but they did promote. I mean, they promoted the three products that came out was the Van Moof bikes, which apparently are very nice bikes. I, I don't want to make fun of them. There, uh, a couple people wrote to me. They say they have them, and they're apparently very nice e-bikes. Belkin has Sound Form Freedom True wireless earbuds. Clearly, uh, AirPod competitors. They're, yeah, they're AirPods right. from Belkin, but they have uh, Find My support and the Chipolo One Spot Item Finder, which is oh, yeah. that's the thing that's like a that's tile a, track, yeah, tile tracker. So they're, I don't know if they're going to put them in the stores, but. You know, it's just the thing. Like uh, Benedict Evans has been written about this, and he he's he's dug up a long time ago. Was I don't even know if it was about this one in particular, but this issue of when the platform maker builds a feature in. I mean, my rule of thumb is if it makes sense, if it if it would be better built into the system, and it's worth building into the system. It will be built into the system, and and the yeah, worth part. Totally the yeah. worth part is how many people are actually going to use it. I mean, if it's something truly obscure, even if it would be built into the system, why why would they? You know, they can't build every idea in there. But you know, for something like this, uh, like like the AirPod support or, or these uh, AirTags now, it is worth building into the system, and it makes it better. And it's you know, it stinks if you're the one who had the idea, but if you've got an idea. And even if it's just software and it's a utility and it's like, oh man, I mean, like, look at like the launch bar type apps, right? Like there's launch bar oh, and yeah, Alfred yeah. and uh, a whole bunch more. And those still, right. Those still exist. Uh, even though know, spotlight, ultimate- uh, spotlight is now works like that. You hit command space, you type something, you hit return and boom, you get what you're looking for. And the, the trick is why, why are launch bar and Alfred still successful? Because they do so much more. They, they yeah. do so much more that it wouldn't make sense for Apple to, to build into the system version. Whereas the concept of a tile tracker is so simple. Here's a little square, you put a battery in it, you match it up with the app on your phone, and then you can put this tile on a backpack or in a suitcase or wherever you want, and it'll tell you where it is. That's it. There, There is, you know, it's wonderfully simple, but there is no level to go launch bar style. Oh, and you can write your own custom extensions and scripts and uh, extensions. You know, there, there's there's not a lot of room there. <laughs> yeah, you don't need much more except if you could do, you know, um, something that requires a lot more battery and whatever. It's GPS and cellular. And there are devices uh, like that. Uh, my my uh, wife and 
brother-in-law for my late mother-in-law got a um, a tracker like that that they slipped in her purse because she started to wander. It was surprisingly compact. It charged fast, and it did GPS uh, and cellular and uh, gave you location information, but that's not what everybody needs. That's a specialized product uh, for I, help. And this is specific. I do not mean to laugh, but isn't it uh, – because I – and I've had – I've I've had relatives, you know, who've gone through similar type things. So we, I had a, my mom's aunt used to. Th- she, I mean, she must have been eighty. She kept thinking she was late for school, and and, oh, her, yeah. and her husband would, and because she she stayed in the same town, so it was it, the the elementary school was the one she had gone to. Oh my gosh, seventy years ago, but she'd be there like on a Saturday morning in the rain and her nightgown there. But oh, isn't no. it funny though that that, yeah. that 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 they knew she would still take her purse. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. That's right. It's amazing what parts of you you keep with you right. when the rest is gone. Right, and like she's probably a woman who who you know when she was younger, just just she'd never she would never she'd no more likely leave without her purse than leave you know without shoes on. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. So, so this is not this is not a solution for that. But I think you know I think that's the the point is I think the tile uh, tile or, and these little devices are useful. In um, with a very specific limited function, and you know, and also kudos finally for Apple releasing something that you can just replace with a standard battery. That's kind of <laughs> kind of nice for once, right? I'm all right, well, points for that. all right, all right. Let me play devil's advocate though. Yeah. What what product they make should have a replaceable battery, but doesn't? This one has to, right? Because what else are they going to do? Put a lightning charger on it? Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. It'd be a lightning charger, and what you'd do is you'd have to plug it into your AirPod to charge it. There'd be a point <laughs> it would stick out of like. No, I'm sorry. Just saw another picture of the original the Apple Mouse thing. I uh, Apple Mouse being charged by an, an Apple pencil. Um, yeah, no, I think you're right. They have to. They have to. But they, I mean, the AirPods. It's the I, I just always am slightly aggrieved by the AirPods because and I've had this discussion with other people, and I know you've written about it a lot. It's it's could you make AirPods without with batteries that were not even user serviceable but serviceable right. in some fashion? And the answer is maybe. So maybe you couldn't make AirPods to Apple specifications without making them essentially an environmental problem but anyway so that's the big one the rest is you know i i actually have come to the point where apple's batteries have so much uh and like laptops and devices like mobile devices are so uh, good and have so much they overpromise so much that i'm like and they also their battery replacement charges for your you know the things that you can't do aren't use a serviceable uh are so reasonable now and they included them, you know, you've got Apple Care Plus, it, you know, includes battery, even your battery drops below whatever, they replace it for free as part of that. All those things together, I'm like, well, that kind of took care of the, the battery issue. And then Apple does have to recycle and deal with the batteries they pull out. So for all of those devices now, I'm like, it's a pain that you can't replace it yourself anymore. The advantages probably outweigh that. And it's not a ridiculous price to get Apple to service it if it happens. So. Right. I don't know what the path out of this is. And I do know, though, that like under the umbrella term right to repair, that legislation is going from the grassroots to like the attention of legislatures around yeah. the world. But it is and I think it's unclear to me. I, 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 I stake out a middle ground here where I'm not in complete defense of Apple's mostly no user serviceable batteries. But I also don't think it's a very cynical play either. I really do think that when you compare, uh, it's just impossible to look at a modern iPhone and think of it as a device where you could 
somehow crack the back off. They're just so dense. They really are. And it it really does take an enormous amount of three-dimensional space to design a battery that can be taken in and out safely, right? Which is a big part of it, as opposed to just sealing it up. Oh, yeah. Once they got to those moldable uh, uh, polymer lithium-ion batteries and the, the sort of... Um like terrorist batteries in the 2015 uh, MacBook. When you get to that point, you're actually putting people maybe in danger if they start taking it apart. Right. I, mean, I mean, maybe danger is an exaggeration, but but you know, the, the laptops particularly, it becomes more complicated. Um, yeah, I, I would have to say there was a period of time when it felt like Apple was thumbing its nose at people a bit because they, you know, they did the pentalobe screws and they did stuff where they could have used a solder or a screw and they used, you know, some kind of impenetrable glue that had yeah. melted off. And you're like, that was a choice during manufacture and maybe it had a manufacturing purpose that shaved, you know, one thirteenth of a cent off every device, but maybe not. Um, and then, but then you transition into the modern era where you're like, could you make, you know, I've got a 2017 iMac and I could put more memory in it myself. Could I take out the drive? Well, I mean, that's a huge, weird mm. engineering task. So they put a slot in the back for that. Like, I don't know. And now, you know, the M1, just breaks that. Then you're like, well, what are, you know, I mean, yes, it could do something with an SSD. Everything, potentially, is, but, everything is just yeah. on a posted side stamp. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you know, in the future, the funny part is the new, well, I know we're going to talk about the new IMAX or the new IMAX, like they could just have a slot. You just pull it out and stick a new computer in. I know. It, you, know, that, no, you really could. Practically. It really is almost like a, it, it really, I thought about that. It's, it's like, <laughs> why, why get a new display when the M3 comes out in two years? Why not just have like a cartridge that, just has the you know the computer on it I, swappable chin like a plastic surgery but i do get it and i do you know uh, having gone through i've had airpods for so long and it was funny i had to look it up recently i think they came out in like 2015 uh mm-hmm. it's surprisingly long to me for a thing that still seems new one thing i'd looked i was just upgrading my apple watch to the new os no, I forget what I was. I was checking to see if it if it wanted to because I've been using. I was using mm. the beta versions of fourteen point five for a long time so I could get the unlock with the watch while you're wearing a oh, face yeah. mask, yeah. which I'm glad I did because it was a long beta cycle. I got like two yeah. months out of that, but I, I wound up poking around and looking at the battery. So I have a Series Five Apple Watch. So I, you know, it'll be two years old in September um, or maybe October was the time I bought it. And according to the OS, it has ni- it's the battery capacity is at 91%. Oh, wow. Okay. Which, you know, isn't great, isn't bad. Yeah. I mean, I wear it more more days often than not. Um, you know, you know, I, I'm an idiot and I bought the titanium version. So I don't know, what is that, like six, 700 bucks? I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you get a $600 watch, you don't expect the battery to, you know, and I know I can just take it to Apple and I can I don't have to throw it away if the battery gets unacceptable. Very sensitive with the watch though but, compared to but like, like a laptop. For but the most like part. you know, by the time it gets down to like eighty percent, maybe in another year, it's like wouldn't I rather just buy a Series Eight Apple Watch two years from now? You know, uh, there's <laughs> it it and it's not plan planned obsolescence is the wrong term. Like because. Planned obsolescence really sounds like you truly went to your engineers and said, I want you to design a toaster that after 600 times, 600 slices of toast, the spring will break. 
and then they have to buy a new toaster. Mm-hmm. Like that's that it it it's largely about the fact that by you know Apple stuff lasts long enough that by the time it really does wear out or is unusable, the new stuff is so compelling that it really does make more sense to just get a new phone. Yeah, and the, and this is I think the big difference though with Apple Gear than with the, the things made by most other companies. Like, who wants an Android three phone or an Android six phone or something, right? Those do not have a lot. I mean, they do. I mean, they're used in the developing world or some aftermarket. Um, but I think those are more disposable. And I know people are walking around with like iPhone fours and fives, right? Yeah. Those are still uh, functional. And um, you know, whenever I've sold, I don't think I've so rarely had a computer die. I actually. When I got a MacBook Air uh, last spring, thinking foolishly, well, Apple won't release two MacBook Air models in one year, <laughs> especially during a pandemic. Right. So I bought a new Intel one right when they came up with the better keyboard version. And my 2015 MacBook, which I'd had you know, five years under AppleCare Plus, how to get the keyboard, uh, the bottom case, the battery replaced, I think, at one point, but totally you know, covered. So it was worth having bought the AppleCare Plus. That one was dying in such a weird way that I took the buyout and I you know, got... 300 bucks for it from Apple as a trade-in and let them disassemble it and do whatever, right? But that's one of the few times, like, normally my pattern is, like, as, like, my, one of my, my kids both got 2018 MacBook Airs. And so they're getting towards the end of their three years of Apple Care Plus and they're in good condition. And we're probably going to, you know, I think at least for one of them, they might get a, a M1 or whatever the subsequent model is. So I'm like, hey, what's your battery capacity? So I installed the battery monitor app that I really like, third party tool. And it's like, oh, it's at like 79, 80%. Like, as soon as it's consistently under 80%, we are getting this battery replaced. <laughs> because when we sell it, I mean, it's a benefit for somebody who buys it. We can say, you know, A, we'll get a little better price for it. And B, can say, this was just repaired under warranty. It has a 100% new refurbished battery. And there you go. So what, you're not what's, getting the, a, what's the name of the app? Because people are going to ask. It is, I think it's literally called Battery Monitor to accept no substitutes. It's by, but let, let me tell you the, the maker, because I think if you go, you know, the usual App Store problem, if you actually go into Battery Monitor and the App Store, you will get, uh, you know, too many different apps. It is by the fine people at, or they're telling me I can't run it on my computer because it's, I'm on an iMac. So um, anyway, it's, ba- <laughs> it's the best battery monitor. I will put it. I promise. I've already made a note. I will put it in the show notes. It's great. It's what I was using. I was testing a lot of USB battery packs and uh, draining batteries and doing stuff. And I am just a big. I know it's so funny. It's a big fan of this simple app because it it just pulls out all the stuff. You can get some of it from system information, but not all of it. Some of it you have to actually use this app in order to see. um, Like you can get cycles, but you can't get percentage of capacity from. Oh, Marcel Brasink Software. Well, anyway, I feel like we will look back long, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later. I mean, 10 years, you know, 10 years feels like a decent goal that we'll look back on this era of glued in batteries and the, the, the lifespan, the usable lifespan they had and think of it as incredibly crude. Oh, that's a great way to think about it. Yeah. But it's, you know, there's a lot of the stuff though that people think, you know, like, I don't know, the individual AirPods themselves, I don't know. I've seen what they look like when they're taken apart and it's really hard to, to argue against the design. I don't know. I, I, I wish that they were more repairable. It seems incredibly wasteful that the best thing to do with a $160 pair of wireless headphones that just doesn't hold a charge anymore is 
get new oh. ones. Well, you know, there's those those uh, women who started the company that does AirPod battery replacement, right? They have some mm. kind of secret thing they do. It's um, Jeff Carlson wrote about this for Tidbits. Oh, I'm blanking out of the the product name. It's a uh, it's a they have a some kind of clearly robotic system for replacing the batteries. So it, mm. they take the glue out and whatever, and they don't charge that much for it relative to the cost of the AirPod. PodSwap is the Pod name swap. of these folks. PodSwap. You send them, and they're what they're clever. It's sixty bucks for a swap of the first generation ones. Uh, currently sold out in the second. You send them yours in, and they send you a refurbished pair. Basically, huh. they swap them out, and then they deal with the with the issue of um, of you know cleaning and and doing it. But they have some secret sauce they've invented. It doesn't sound like it cannot be manual because it's too you know no one's been able to figure out a manual process and. Anyway, it's a it's a clever idea. I, like, if they can do it, Apple could do it. Right? I will, all right, I I agree with that, and I will put this in the show notes. But just looking at the math, right, a hundred and sixty dollar pair of headphones and sixty bucks to swap the battery. Again, that is a better deal than buying a new pair of one hundred and sixty dollar headphones, right? No doubt about it. But it's still that's like a third of the price. Like back when we were kids, if you had bought a forty dollar calculator. If you had found out it cost fifteen dollars to replace the battery, you you would have thought it was crazy, right? I mean, that doesn't it. it oh it's, yeah, it's a great. De- I mean, that's the thing is our problem is we're comparing. Yeah, it's. I mean, remember when we used Macs and they would essentially like or any computer and they would like burn out within two or three years, like they just die. Something would go wrong with them, <clears throat> and sometimes you'd replace a component, but often they were too slow at that point or whatever. And you just had this, you know, off with the towers, you'd wind up with, if you didn't take, there's no computer recycling. So you didn't figure out a way to get rid of them. You could have like <laughs> 10, to- you remember this, right? You'd like 10 towers in the corner yeah. for your last 10 years. So now like my expectation is when I buy a Mac, it's going to last me five to seven years, unless I have a specific reason to update. Like I need to write about new technology. So my five-year-old MacBook, which I liked, uh, was dying. It was doing weird stuff, and I needed to write about, you know, I need a new machine, then I need to write about the M1. But uh, many of the machines that I've then sold, because they weren't dying, people have gone on, they've told me, oh, I'm still using that thing from three years ago. So they get eight or ten yeah. years out of a Mac with maybe nominal repair in the meantime, maybe the battery swapped or some component. So that is fantastic by the standards of our youth, absolutely. But yeah. the thing is, we hold everybody to higher standards now, and so we hold Apple to the standard of like, well, couldn't it be even longer? <laughs> yeah. We just need some kind of next generation push on batteries, something that's as revolutionary as, totally right. as lithium-ion was to everything that came before it. It's, it's all coming. I hadn't thought about that. Like, the 10-year time frame on batteries right. is not going to be, well, we have 20% more efficiency out of lithium-ion. Right. That is not going to be what it is. But, like, for example, just to name one, you know, uh, and we'll get into the Apple remote in a bit, but I, I'm much happier with the Apple remote having a little lightning port in the back than if I had to find a CR2032 battery every single time it ran <laughs> yeah, no, out, no. you know? No, it's true. I have to charge my Apple remote, like, every uh it really is the most delightful thing it's like your tv tells you hey the battery's getting low but it's like you know like 10 percent. so you could easily if you just don't want to deal with it right now you could just keep watching the movie but if you do want to charge it up you just need like 10 minutes on like a, a charger you have laying around anyway let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor oh you know what i take it back about yes please this is a nearer and dearer sponsor to my heart it's the only sponsor in daring or in talk show history who has ever written the theme song for this podcast that doesn't actually have a theme song. Alex Weinstein. Look, we're all storytellers. The game you're developing, is it, is it a peaceful meditation or an exhilarating rush? 
the commercial you're directing? Is it an inspiring and heroic type thing, or is it strange and curious? The podcast you're editing, is it banter between friends, or is it serious, in-depth reporting on like a real-life mystery? In every project, it's music that tells the story. It's music that creates emotion. Where do you go for music? Well, I'm sure you have some sort of go-to stock music site. But stock sites think more is better. They tout how many hundreds of thousands of songs they have in their catalogs. That's like listening for a needle in a haystack, and it's a very boring haystack. Why don't you try something new? I want to tell you about Alex Weinstein Music. This is a direct line to a composer whose music has been licensed by Google, Amazon, Intel, Slack, Panic, and more. And he did the Pick and Boogers with John theme song for this show. (laughs) You are listening to his music right now while I do this read. Alex's style is different than most. He takes a human approach to music production. Sounds can be imperfect. Rhythms can live off the grid. It's handmade and organic music with exciting rhythms and texture and genuine, real personality, style. The result is a unique sound that helps your story stand out and connect with your audience. Do you want to tell a better story? Start with better music. Visit alexweinstein.com, A-L-E-X-W-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N.com slash The Talk Show. Tell them John the Booker Picker sent you. AlexWeinstein.com slash the talk show. What a fun ad, but you didn't get to really experience it. You just got to listen to me talk. Now you're gonna you're gonna have to listen to it to see what the music actually sounded like. I'm imagining it in my head right now, but I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go find it. I'm gonna go listen, I have to go listen to the show. <laughs> Listen to myself. Where's uh, that music? All right. Speaking of Apple TV remotes, there's a new Apple TV remote. <laughs> you, you know my friend Joe Rosenstiel, right? <laughs> yeah. Joe Steele on Twitter. Joe, yeah. Joe has written the most eloquent. I, I'm not sure anyone has written as beautifully and as at length about his the hatred for the uh, the old Siri remote as he has. <laughs> and I recommend searching for Joe Rosenstiel and, and Siri remote if you want to understand everything that there is. Um and I saw this as like, thank God. I just bought the Function 101 remote last year, which is very much like the new. It's got a lot of things in common, but not entirely uh, to this new Siri remote. But it was kind of like, oh, thank God. All right. But why? You know, when you hit yourself in the head for long enough, it starts to feel good, John. Talk about, and that's another one. I think that I think that this the 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 black Siri remote came out in 2015 with the what they call the Apple TV HD. Six years with that. God. Oh my God! And I I can't tell you. I, to me, still the the biggest head scratcher in my entire career writing about Apple. It's not the most important thing by far. It's not my biggest complaint. Not my most serious complaint because it's relatively low stakes. What are we What are we complaining about? The uh, the 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 trackpad diving board end of it. You touch, <laughs> you touch it wrong, and all of a sudden you pause the movie, and all you wanted to do was pick up the damn remote to adjust the volume, and you've paused. Maybe you clicked or something, right. and it went back. But you know, worst case scenario, you're, you're, I don't know. Your your family members are mad at you for doing it, or you know. But you're ten seconds away from getting back to where you were. It's not destructive, right. but no, it's no. just so baffling. It's awkward. When did Apple make anything awkward? 
When did Apple make anything awkward besides the pencil and the aforementioned mouse charging, right? Those are the two most awkward things that Apple ever did, and they're just when you're charging, right? I I, I don't know. It's not a bad idea. I could certainly see how it was like, let's make it, let's, let's prototype it and see how it is, you know? But if you actually prototype it in a real-world living room where the lights are down, oh it, my God. it is a disaster, you know? And, and, and years and years and years, they just kept shipping this thing. There's no, they're making the best Macs they've ever made in history. Right. They're making the best iPhones they've ever made in history. They're like, hey, let's just well, keep shipping this pizza. The, the funny, one of the funniest parts of the whole saga of that remote is that when they came out with the Apple TV 4K yeah. in 2018, they did tweak it. They put a white ring, mm-hmm. a, a white ring around the menu button, which in like, addition to being white, if the lights are on, was actually raised so you could tell the menu button apart by touch. And I remember talking to somebody at Apple about, it was like, that's it? And it was like, well, I guess some people don't like the old remote, but you know, now we have a ring around the menu button. And it's it's part of of Ives' severance. You can never change this. Until and, after X years after I've left. Do, do we blame this on Johnny Ive? Did Johnny Ive... No, no. The lo- Siri remote had naked pictures of him, and it was holding him hostage. Did, I mean, is that whose fault it is? is and now that, Somebody liked it. You know, and Apple's always changing, right? They, they, they're, they're, you know, and maybe some, some designs like the aluminum, aluminum unanodized... MacBook Air stayed the same for mm. kind of an extraordinary long period of time. But for the most part, you know, every couple of years, everything gets a new look. I, I don't want to attribute everything, you know, oh, uh, brightly colored iMacs, you know, well, thank God Johnny Ive is gone. They fixed the remote. Thank God Johnny <laughs> right. Ive is gone. No, no, but, no. It's just. But some of these, some of these things, <laughs> it, it might, I, I might be. I think it's they didn't care. Nobody there cared as much as the people using it cared that they hated it, is yeah, my suspicion. But, I, I don't know. There must be. But some... they all used it, don't you think? All oh, the Apple people. I know or are they, they always do. using their nope. phone. Nope. I know that they do. I know. I know that like Eddie Q is a big time I, I, Apple TV user. I know Phil. No, Schiller no, I mean uses the, it. the Siri remote though. Like if you're using your phone, if your phone is your remote, oh. you don't have this experience. And so oh. my my question is: Is everybody or all those people? Phone in the hand people, so they're watching TV oh. and they don't even care. They don't use it because it's not as you know. It's mm. not as sophisticated as the phone remote. And when I use the phone remote, I have my anger level at Apple TV goes down like, you know, 97%. So huh. maybe that's it. See, you know what? I, I don't like using the phone remote, not because I think there's no. something wrong with it, but because when I'm watching TV, I want to get away from, you know, it, it's the end of my day and I, exactly. last, I don't, I want to be off the phone. I, it's like, it'd be better if I just left my phone in the kitchen. And didn't even have it in the living room with me because I don't want to find out uh, somebody posted to Slack or, you know, uh, breaking news from New York Times. No, I'm watching something with my family, you know. So I, I no, don't. I think but maybe, maybe that's the explanation. I don't know. But we have a new remote that looks like it's looks nice. Looks nice. Goes on sale at five a.m. <laughs> so if you want one, I think it goes. So if you want, you get up at five a.m. It is funny. On a particular day. It is funny. Maybe I don't know. I mean. Uh, I'm Pacific. Uh, so they fixed the remote, and it looks like they fixed yeah. the remote. Uh, and the one of the problems with the Siri remote, the black one, the one that we hate, is in my opinion, people could just look at it and think, well, isn't that weird that it's symmetric? Aren't you going to be, you know, not know right. which end you've picked up? And it's right. like, yeah, yeah, the things that you thought just by glancing at it. So, yeah, I'm not, I can't review the new Apple remote yet. I don't have it, but 
my review of the photograph of it is that it certainly looks like it's going to make me very happy. Yeah. <laughs> this, the thing I'd love to talk about though, if I can dig into something is this color balance thing. So mm. John, I know you worked, I know you worked in desktop publishing. Did you ever have to do color correction? Yes. Uh, so, yeah. but, but I typically never had to do it. Was there somebody else? It was when I was at the Philadelphia Inquirer's promotions department, we had, I, the work I did was never so sensitive color-wise that I had to worry about it, so we did. Mm-hmm. But but I also remember reading, like, Macworld coverage of, you know, this is the CRT era. <laughs> yeah, the late, and the late great Bruce Fraser's incredible book on, uh, was it Color Correction? It was about color. They did a real-world color. Was it color. I don't know. It was a great book. I remember it was it was so great. Graham Nash loved that book, apparently. Graham Nash is a huge nerd. He became very good friends with uh, Bruce Fraser before his death. Um Anyway, but no, so I was doing color correction back in the day. I, I did it under like one of those, uh, color balanced hoods. Yep. And this was for a, it was for a shop that was doing, uh, it was like a typesetting and output shop imaging center place connected with the Kodak Center for Creative Imaging where I used to work and, um, or sort of connected with them. Anyway, so we had one of these, <clears throat> these hoods that you would go under and the lights were perfect and whatever. And I was like, one day I'm like, oh, this is funny. And I realized I had like a, five degree color red difference between my two eyes like that's how much correction i was doing and how calibrated an environment it was like well my eyes perceive red so anyway you know so i've been working you know color correction is this magical art it's not calibration i realize those are two different things but you're always trying to figure out like how do you get the thing that's uh the original thing and this is one of those aspects of like when you produce uh television um there's a broadcast quality thing. You know, there's all these parameters around the kind of video. And one of the remarkable things about HD video and sort of modern production is that you can have a handheld device like a phone that can actually produce something that meets broadcast qualities with, you know, yeah. the post-production part. So th- this is all really cool. <clears throat> but you're like, all right, how do I get <laughs> – how do I not have to sit there and tweak the million things, right? I just got a new TV. We went from a you know 32-inch to a 40-inch or whatever we have now. We got the biggest thing that fits. We decided to go from 1080p to 4K because we're watching more TV. And I'm like doing the calibration stuff, and the controls are really poor. It's a Vizio. It's okay. And I think I've got it okay, but I'm not delighted. And then this comes out. I'm like, oh, can I have to buy an Apple new Apple TV? I don't have a 4K. I have the HD one. Am I going to have to buy a 4K? Because this is incredible. It's like the one of the greatest uses of technology is a thing that makes your life easier in a in a noticeable way that makes you happier, right? It makes you feel better. It's not life-saving, but it um, it's just a brilliant idea. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm going on and on about have it. Have you tried I love it? The idea. You know, you don't, have to, you don't have to get a new Apple TV for it. You know, it's just built into tvOS. No, I did not. Oh, I'm an idiot. John, uh, excuse me. I got to go calibrate my TV. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. All right. I got to. But yet I. Oh, I just got 14. I got 14.5 yesterday. So I didn't have the. uh, It wasn't ready for it yet. Yeah. Same here. I I manually forced it to update yesterday. and I haven't used it since. So I I have not done my homework. I feel like color correction, whatever you want to call the whole getting getting your display to show color well is one of those little things that has gotten so much better over like mm. you in my lifetime like yes. number 1 CRTs were terrible i mean they were what we had but in hindsight it's like oh my god no wonder my eyes are so bad <laughs> uh but they were also terribly inconsistent they were easily they had like dials they had actual physical dials under the screen that somebody could screw with you know oh yeah and then you'd be like ah why did you do that (laughs) 
where were these before? Yeah, there are no uh, presets, right? Do you remember? The, how, about, how about the whole thing with Mac versus Windows standard gamma? Oh, Jesus Christ! Right? How? God. And, and then Forgot you about that. remember that, and then you'd have like a monitor that was going on the fritz, and you could like re- recalibrate it in the control, the monitor's control panel, and you'd get like another custom thing and it oh it was it was so it was a disaster and that's not even going to professional standards that was just trying to get it so it looked right to your eyes as somebody who cared about color and now they 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 just work oh but not your tv right and so you know, right so like your iphone you never have to worry about like what gamma your your iphone is generating or whatever you just do brightness right all you have to worry Mm -hmm. about is brightness do you want to turn true tone on these things that you can easily understand and they're not really about calibration but are about personal taste oh in the in the p3 color space i mean when apple you know started talking about that and i was like well well most people notice i don't know it'll have some more vivid colors in a few areas and it's you know if you use a a, a rgb or was it srgb versus p3 phone you look at them side by side and the srgb thing looks like washed out crap yep. sometimes for the yep. same photo. And you're like, All right, this is noticeable improvement that people, yep. if you put them side by side, a normal person would say that one's better with the P3. Yep. But anyway, this new the calibration thing is supposed to work. Uh, you yeah. know, we'll have to we'll have to try it what? afterwards. We'll have why to... can't I do this on my Mac, John? Why can't I do this on my Mac? I well, my you're screen. Not, you're not supposed <laughs> I to need iMac, to. So it's calibrating already. I'm... Right. See, that's just it. You're not supposed to need to. You're supposed to plug it into an Apple display or a built-in display. But. Uh, and otherwise, the other big thing with Apple TV is is sort of, as I wrote about it, it's like a lot of speculation that Apple was like getting out of the market because that's why they're pushing the TV Plus app onto all these other platforms. And they're just going to, you know, oh, be yeah. more like Netflix instead of worrying about selling Apple TV boxes. They just want to put Apple TV on everybody else's boxes. Other people who thought, well, no, they should sell their own box, but they've got to compete on price. These Roku things are only forty bucks, and Amazon is or only forty bucks. They need something for under a hundred dollars. And Apple was like, "Nope, we're good. We'll we'll just keep selling these for one hundred eighty dollars because we can. We'll we have like a, margins. A, a thirty-two gigabyte upgrade for thirty-two gigabytes. You probably don't need, and that they didn't yeah. even bother. They didn't even bother telling you what you could use it for. The Not only thing anymore. I can imagine would be if you really do use your Apple TV as a gaming console. They're they're having the games installed could take up multiple gigabytes but like for streaming video you don't certainly don't need extra 32 gigabytes but on the other hand it's only 20 bucks so it's like if you're already in for 179 why not i don't know you know the secret too is um i don't know if anybody but me enables this uh content caching on your mac if you got a desktop mac and you got a bunch of extra storage like i've got an eight terabyte external hard drive that i use for like offloading stuff and backups and and whatever um mac os you go to sharing preference pane you check the content caching box and then you can set a limit and point it to a drive and any apple content like it's synced appointments uh stuff protected with fair play whatever is just cached there for the network uh system updates ios updates whatever oh. and so you don't know what's in there apple does all this disguising and encryption but it's basically i've got like an apple content distribution network node on my drive I and i can't i can't even tell if it works like huh. it's it's constantly downloading stuff and it's full of it's got like you know 20 gigabytes of stuff on it or whatever i've devoted or i can't remember what I, what I devoted to it but it's like when you if you've watched a movie 
uh, you know, from a streaming device, it doesn't necessarily download it to the device. It'll download it to the caching server. So when you stream, it doesn't come off the network, off the internet. We have gigabit internet, so that's fine. But it comes from your, you know, your local network. Anyway, so that's a trick you can do if you have a lower speed network. And that's in settings sharing. It's in uh, uh, or no, on, on macOS. So uh, system preferences sharing. sharing. It's yeah. just one of these options. And if you look up details about it, Apple has some, has some stuff online. But it's kind of like turn this on and we'll cache some stuff on your machine, like all kinds of things. And uh, you know, so if you've got a lower speed connection, you've got like a ten or twenty megabit per second connection. Back when Apple was it. was making uh, Wi-Fi routers, the time capsule had a feature like that. Where the, oh. you know, you're, 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 if you're, if I forget if it was just the time capsule because that time capsule probably because it, because it's the only one with storage, right? Like yeah, a regular. Get, oh, we cash. Yeah. Cause I mean, I've always thought, I think that Apple, I wish for $179, I wish the, the new Apple TV was also a Wi Fi hub. I mean, it's already a home kit hub and it could be a content caching hub. It could, and it, it could be, be so much more. And, yeah, and instead it, it is. To me, a little bit surprising that they did the very least surprising thing possible and just sort of upgrade the A-series chip to the A12, kept the yeah. prices the same, and said, no, no, we're good. And, and you know, it seems like their attitude is, uh, yes, we want TV app everywhere, and so we're doing that. And anybody who's who thinks that's fine and at a $40 Roku box or the built-in uh, smart TV stuff on your TV, if that's good for you, then it, Apple TV will be there for you. And if you want a premium experience and, you know, color-corrected output and uh, the the Dolby uh, Atmos sound to their HomePods and the Dolby whatever they call it for the yeah. HDR content, you you know, if you're willing to pay 180 bucks, you can, you can have a premium experience with the Apple TV box. It is sort of a very old-school Apple idea. You know, it's sort of like yeah. where the Mac was... 20 years ago, you know, where, yeah, it is a serious premium over a PC crap box, but some people are willing to pay for it. And, well, you know, five, five, six percent of the market is fine for the, for them, for this product. You know, this well, isn't have, supposed to set the world on fire. Have you used a smart TV with the Apple TV app on it? Because I had not until recently. I did when we got a new TV a year ago. And, and how long did you use it? <laughs> Uh, like 30 yeah. seconds. <laughs> we got our new Vizio, and it's a relatively modern, you know, 4K. It's not a super high-end one. It's, like, very affordable model. And I was like, well, this is great. It's got all the apps, and I've got an HD uh, Apple TV. So we can watch 4K Apple TV programming through the app, the Apple TV app on the Vizio. And I don't know. I lasted, I don't know, maybe a couple of days messing with it. And it's so slow, and the interface is terrible, and everything lags. Yeah. And to go back and forth between Apple TV app on the Vizio and Apple TV on its own hardware, you know, the la like a fourth generation one, not a not a fifth or later, it was the most painful thing in the world. I'm like, all right, this is why they can charge. All right, this is why. They, I mean, I haven't used a Roku, and so I realize Roku is a totally different experience, and they're very affordable and so forth. So that's not yeah. not a fair comparison, but it was embarrassing. Yeah, I bought. Uh, I didn't. I wound up not really writing about it at length, but I bought a Roku and an app. An Amazon box like two years ago, just you know, and I, I, each one was like eighty bucks, and I thought, well, I can justify it because I'll write about it, but I didn't write about it. But <laughs> I tried them both, and they're fine. They're 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 better in my opinion in my opinion than 
it, it, to me, it's like three tiers. There's the built into the TV tier, which is mm-hmm. not good. I, we have an LG and it's, see, people often say, if you read the reviews, people who actually bother to try Samsung and Sony and LG and Vizio and whoever else. Yeah. That LG does have the best reputation for the built in software. And it's actually, it, it, it's like the, the remnants of the old Palm OS, right? It's, oh, that's or, funny. Or Web OS from Palm. Like LG was the company that wound up bought, oh, buying right. the rights to to the the Palm Web OS, and they I either never used it for phones or quickly aborted it for phones. But uh, but that's what they've got in their TVs, and it is better than than most of the other ones I've seen, like at family members' houses and stuff like that. It's not good. The Roku and the Fire Box or Fire TV Box, whatever Amazon calls it, are better. Roku's, in my opinion, better than Amazon. Amazon is just so clumsy. Software-wise, everything, even their store. It, to me, it's their Achilles' heel. Is that mm-hmm. their design is so bad? Like we were just—I forget what we were watching. Our family, we just watched something on Amazon Prime. But it's like even my son, who doesn't uh, typically nerd out on stuff like this, he was like, "This app is so janky. It, it just—it <laughs> looks like a, like the, the Amazon Prime app looks like like a, a prototype, you know, like a like a couple of engineers who weren't even working with the designer put this together because everything is just like a rectangle and a box, and all right, we can just put an image here and put some text here, and it's like you know, then you go show your boss like, look, we could make this app that shows all this video. And it's like, yeah, let's green light. Let's bring a designer on board. <laughs> get, get get an interaction team. You know, like nothing is animated. It it it's so weird. It, it very crude. The Roku is much better in that regard, but That's it's also funny. clearly like a step behind the Apple TV. Like a, just a night and day to me. So it's worth it to me. Hundred eighty bucks. I don't know. I don't need to buy a new Apple TV 4K. So I for you know I've I've had mine since. The 4K one came out in 2018, so I've still got years ahead of it. So for the 180 bucks I spent on it, it's you know it's not bad. But it is interesting mm-hmm. to me that it's contrary to everybody's advice. I, I don't remember anybody's advice to Apple being what they should do with the Apple TV is change nothing, <laughs> just keep selling these boxes for 180 dollars. <laughs> They're so I mean they are so funny because. They don't have to, you know. Right. They they don't want it. Apple, as I think you've pointed out, many people point out, uh, they figure out a price point, and then that's the price point for that product, not forever, but often it doesn't move very much, right? And they don't need to. And then occasionally, you know, we've seen them do it with like the HomePod and some other products where they're like, ah, oh, maybe this is a little much, and they they tweak it or they produce a new thing, and then they have a justification to make it lower. They try to keep the lowest yep. price of the lowest end Mac. At a, you know, under a thousand dollars, those kinds of things. But I think they like their prices more than they like adjusting prices. They don't want to, I mean, they're never racing to the bottom, but I think, you know, how do you have a company that's worth trillions of dollars and has delivers 30% plus? Margins they, consistently. That's how you don't change the price. And the, I would say the product where that was the most conspicuous for the most people was the MacBook Air, and that that era yeah. when it was not still nine hundred ninety nine dollars did not have a Retina screen, and was just looking slower and slower oh and my slower. God, yeah, and they just were waiting until they could make the Retina MacBook Air mm-hmm, that they mm-hmm. wanted to make. And in the meantime, what every other PC maker would have done is, low, well, we'll at least lower the prices, you know. But they, you know, I think, I think, based, I mean, again, they'll never explain themselves, but basically they didn't want to 
okay, we're not ready with the next generation MacBook Air yet, but we'll lower the price to seven ninety nine. Okay, you know, there you mm-hmm. go, or six ninety nine. You know, that was super cheap, wasn't it? Uh, they never did. They never lowered the price. It was always nine ninety nine. They had like oh, eight, right, yeah, yeah. No, they had like eight ninety nine for for education, but they never lowered yeah. the price because they didn't want to come out with the one they always wanted to come out with and say, okay, now here it is, and it's eleven ninety nine. You know, and in fact, when they came out with the Retina MacBook Air at like eleven ninety nine, they still kept the old crummy one around at nine ninety nine. Yes, just to hold that price point until like a year later, when okay, now we can sell last year's Retina MacBook Air for nine ninety nine, and here's a speed bump version for eleven ninety nine, etc. And then the other one that really stands out, of course, is the the trash can Mac Pro, where yes. it never yeah. even got an update, but yet they kept these. Incredibly professional prices, you know, four thousand dollars for this computer with, at you know, a seven-year-old chip. <laughs> I mean, it was it was crazy. It just is, but it was such a niche product. You know, it didn't it didn't have the mass market. But it's all about holding those price points. Yep, and it's again. I mean, their spreadsheets make it work. I mean, it cracks me up that I bought a TV. I bought a four K TV for just a few dollars more than the new Apple 4K, TV 4K, right? It's like, that's that's what they can do, and they own that. And and you know what? I will probably eventually get one because i got a 4K TV now and an HD Apple TV. So I probably will eventually go, oh, you know, I'll wait for a sale or some, you know, whatever, and then I'll do it. The, the thing, my advice to anybody buying a TV is you research the hell out of it. There's only the nice thing is there's only a few brands. It's not as complicated as you would think. <laughs> no, right, there's what, Sony... Uh, Wait, Vizio is not a Sony brand, right? It's no. Vizio, Samsung, and Sony, and maybe and, LG. And LG, right? And and you know, did you did you get OLED or no? Uh, I did not. Now we Let's got see. we got a cheap thing, and actually, it's really I was shocked by the reviews were really positive, and I, I swear to God, we didn't pay more than two hundred fifty dollars for it. So and I, it's it's really good. I um I, I went right. I skipped the whole LED. I ne- I've never owned an LED yeah, yeah. TV, so I went right That's, from plasma to OLED. But yeah. by going, waiting, holding out for OLED, there were only four brands. There's only four brands that make OLED. I chose LG because it just seemed it was a good combination, and I liked the idea that the software was at least, if I ever had to use it, it was better. And then immediately stop looking at TV prices because oh yeah that's great that's smart. because TV prices like if you wait three months you'll save all this money or for the same amount of money get a way bigger TV or way brighter TV like the TV market continues it's amazing it's really you know it, it but it's it, it's not something, something about it's not something you want to keep your eye on the prices after you've made the decision it's just a very by the way is I I think TV makers barely make any money. No. <clears throat> like companies, you know, used to be more and the race to the bottom was so quick and there's so few companies that can make like manufacture the glass and the LED components. So, you know, Samsung famously provides chunks of that to Apple, right? And then Apple is building its own factories to or or buying or supporting ones uh, to avoid having to use Samsung as as much of a source and blah blah blah. But the thing is, it's really the TV business is so terrible that um or the HDTV business that there, it's. I don't know if I. I remember a few years ago, practically no one except Samsung was making money because everyone else had to buy source materials from elsewhere. And I don't know what it is today, but anyway. So they charge these ridiculously low prices that are sometimes below their, you know, their profit. And you're like, how do you? Don't I don't understand a market like that. It's like the negative Apple model. It's like let's have a negative five percent margin on all our products. <laughs> all right, let me take a break here. Thank our next sponsor. Uh, all right. I keep talking up each sponsor as being better than theirs. But if you need, if you have this sponsor and you need them, 
you they they will become your favorite company ever. And I'm talking about Backblaze. Longtime sponsor, they're back sponsoring the show again. Online backup for your Mac or PC. Six bucks a month, no gimmicks, no add-ons, no gotchas, no paying for the gigabyte or something like that. You pay by the by the device. You have two Macs, you pay twice. You have one, you just pay for the one. It backs up everything you've got connected to the Mac. It's all in the cloud. They have over an exabyte. I don't even know how much that is of customer data backed up and counting. Oh, they're telling me how much it is. That's one billion gigabytes. 50 billion, over 50 billion files have been restored for Backblaze customers. What do you do if you need to get stuff back? Well, number one, how do you get set up? You just install their software on your Mac, sign in, you get a 30-day free trial. It just starts backing stuff up in the background. You don't have, you don't even notice. It doesn't slow down your computer. It doesn't slow down your network. Let it go. You might need to give it a couple of days because you might have a lot of stuff. Then after that, everything just backs up incrementally. You don't even know it's there. There's just, there's nothing to do. You don't have to remember to go in every day and hit a button or something like that. No, it just backs up incrementally as you go to the cloud. They've got an iPhone app, Android app too, where you can go and access your files. So if you just want to access a file from your Mac while you're on your phone, just go to their app. There it is. You could just get it there and view it or email it to somebody or something like that. But when you want to restore, oh, they have options. You can restore by mail. You can get a flash key or a hard drive restore shipped right to your door. If it's like an emergency, like, oh my God, this is an emergency. It's a disaster. I need this tomorrow. Get a FedEx delivery. They'll send it on a hard drive. You can send a hard drive back to them after you've restored it to your computer and get the money back for that. You can restore online, uh, over the web, anywhere from the world, from anybody else's computer if you need to access some of your files. Really, really convenient. Very reliable. And for an extra two bucks a month, they can increase your retention history to one year. So for two bucks a month, you can have a year of retention history in case you're worried about like accidentally deleting a file or something like that and not noticing until it's too late. 15 day free trial is the, is the correct length of time of the free trial. Backblaze.com slash daring fireball. Uh, so go to backblaze.com slash daring fireball. Seriously, back your stuff up. Even if you don't use Backblaze, use something. But Backblaze, it, I use it. I have it installed. I love it. My thanks to Backblaze for sponsoring the show. My uh, my wife's uh, 2014 Max SSD just entirely died. And uh, we were able to retrieve uh, all our files, 300 gigabytes off Backblaze. Thank you. Not not a, I'm not sponsored by Backblaze. I didn't know that story, but I've heard it's similar stories over the it's years. Great. I I would I honestly hope, and that Backblaze will not even discourage me from saying it. I hope none of you ever need it. I really oh, do. God. I Thank hope you. every single one of you never needs to use it. But if you do, that's when I get email from people, and they're like, you know, I signed up for this a couple of years ago on your podcast, and you'll never <laughs> guess what happened to me last week. <laughs> One a million chance, Doc. One a million chance. Well, what else we got? Are we moving on to IMAX? IMAX. What 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 do you think? I I love the colors. I love the design. Uh, I I guess the biggest complaint is why make it so absurdly thin? Because they can. I mean, that's this is kind of the Apple thing, right? Is they just right. are they're obsessed by it <clears throat> because there's no um, you know I've got like I say I've got the 2017 one and it's. It's curved. It's a little bit. It's a little heavy still. Um, so making it lighter would be good. But there's something about I don't know. 
Like they want this. You remember when the iPad came out and it was like it was a sheet of glass and they'd remove the computer and you were completely interacting with the thing almost as if it didn't exist. You were directly yeah. sticking your hands into the computing experience or the yeah. device. So I feel like there's a little bit of the we're going to erase the computer until it no longer exists practically right. to produce an experience that you are not separate from the computer. And maybe that's the guiding philosophy. I don't know. Um, I, I, I like the colors, though. I do like the if, colors. If they didn't have an institutional compulsion to keep mm-hmm. making things ever smaller and make the computer disappear, if they didn't have it, I mean, yes, can it lead them to go too far? Sure. I, I would say, yes. I, you know, I would, <laughs> I, I would say the one-port 12-inch MacBook is, is a, the best example. The, the one port, one USB port that also doubled as the power connector is not enough. It, it just yeah. isn't for anybody. Oh, that was, yeah, I had that machine. I owned the 2015 MacBook, and it was incredibly irritating. Two ports is is fine, right. but one was ridiculous. John, let me ask you a contrasting question. Maybe this is the way Apple thinks about it, and maybe I'm wrong. Is does it need to be any thicker? <laughs> maybe you know, <laughs> like like this is the both incredibly thin. But but I want to. I wonder. Did they actually strive for it? They're like, well, we got a monitor. Like, well, where do we stick the computer? In the past, we stuck the computer sort of behind the monitor. You know, if you right. take apart your old, they had the bulge, right? It kind of right. bulged out like a CRT, even though it was an LCD. And now they're like, we got the chin. Are we going to get rid of the chin? It's like, no. Nah, we sort of need the chin. People put their hands on it. The height of the thing. We didn't give you an adjustable height. So unless you use a Visa mount version. You know, you kind of need that extra, right. like the screen shouldn't be that low. So let's just stick the whole computer in the chin, you know, and eventually I'm like, you know, and they put, this is the fun part where they put the Ethernet port on the models that have gigabit Ethernet is in the power adapter, right? right. Which is neat and weird. Eventually I'm going to be like, oh, they're just going to put the entire computer in the power adapter. Like that's the next yeah. <laughs> evolution of the iMac is going to be a little Mac mini sized lump on the floor. Or a little Apple TV size thing, right? It's yeah. almost like, with the, it's almost like, is the Apple TV too big? You know, like why does it need all those ports? Why can't it be more like <laughs> Apple TV? No, yeah, I, exactly. I I'm with you. You know, and it is interesting because part of making it so small is it does have an external power adapter now, which yeah. I believe is the first desktop Mac ever with a power external power connector. I mean, like yes. ever ever. I'm trying to think if yeah, and I would say people were were had different opinions about it. I will tell you this: I'm confident with my extensive but limited knowledge of computer circuitry that I believe is probably, um, you may exceed me on this, but it's certainly, I'm comparable to you because I'm not an electronics person, but I have read and talked to and dug into it. I am absolutely confident the failure rate of the main device will be substantially lower by removing the power circuitry from it and sticking it into a power brick. Because then you're like, my machine died. They're like, great, hmm. we will send you a new $50 item instead of having to repair a $1,400 item. I wonder. I wonder how often that's, oh. that's what, you know, something I, in that what, fails. What fails? SSC, SSDs yeah. don't fail. More, right. I mean, you know, over period periods of time, the main circuitry don't fail. The heat dissipation is an issue from yeah. the power supply more than the low power circuitry. This is an M1-based device, so the power dissipation is like... You know, it's like nothing compared to the Intel chips. Right. So you're going to, you know, you've got M1s. It's, you touch the computer and it's not hot. And if you're using, um, my kids have these 2018 MacBook Airs and one of my kids will be doing this game called GeoGuessr that's super fun. It's just, you, they plop you down in a, G, a Google map and you have to find where you are on the planet. It's really neat. And he's just using Google Street Map and his machine is so hot you can't touch it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's, so these Macs are going to be 
absolutely cool to the touch in in every circumstance and just won't overheat and overheating and other related issues i'm sure are a huge part of the failure of of devices for repair i i love that it's too thin for an ethernet jack i mean cuz <laughs> Oh, I didn't even think about that. Right, <laughs> and it's it's oh it's God. so the the headphone jack is on the side because right. it's the the headphone jack is too deep to go in the back with the USB ports, but uh, an Ethernet port wouldn't fit either in the back because it's not deep enough, and it wouldn't fit that on the side because it's not thick enough. And it that is, is great. pretty funny thinking about like back in the day oh, when Ethernet was the shiznit. Part of what made it so cool was that it was so much smaller of a port than everything else, you know. I mean, compared to like display adapters and SCSI, for example. I mean, SCSI was, you know, like the size of a book. Oh my God, I love that. Uh, That's so great. Right. And and so that's actually, I had not thought about that as a USB C thing, is that it's actually um, shallow. So it's not just small. Right. I didn't think about that. I right. Think so the, the circuitry I, in the back end is right. goes out on either side. Yeah, it's it's really pretty interesting. I mean, and you and know, but that's the complaint. So the people who are complaining about the chin, that they they wish that they'd gotten rid of the chin. Why not just make it the whole thing a little bit thicker? Then you could have put the computer behind the display, and it's nobody true. sees how thick it is. I, I I get it. I mean, that's certainly you know, but maybe you should start a computer company. I don't know. I I think Apple's. Like I said, compulsion to keep making things thinner and create the illusion that the computer itself is disappearing is making driving them towards that goal much faster than if they if if institutionally Apple was more willing to say ah we'll just put it in the back who cares nobody looks at the back. That's right. They could have a big ugly bulge. Imagine if there was like a like a square bulge in the back, so it was super thin, no chin, and the bulge had the computer in it. So uh, yeah. Here's here's where I what makes me wonder. With is here we are at the end of April. WWDC is in like five weeks. Where do we see the rest of the Apple lineup going? So they've they've with the, with these iMacs they've completed the consumer end of the game. Unless they have new products, like if they were going to bring back a just plain MacBook that's even smaller than the MacBook Air, which I expect oh, them... I don't know if they'll call yeah. it the Air. I expect, though, that Maybe they will have really. future... They're going to bring back laptops that are smaller than what we now call the MacBook Air. But okay. but right now, there are consumer Macs across the board. All the consumer Intel Macs have either been replaced by M1s or uh, are available as an alternative. You can still buy the Intel 21-inch iMac if you want. I have no idea why anyone would buy that, but it's there if you want it. It's the Pro Max that are left. And I'm just like looking at the calendar. Here's what I, with the iMac, what I think they're going to do is, so for example, with, with if you want a 16-inch MacBook, your only option is the MacBook Pro. That's it. And yeah. and the 16-inch MacBook Pro starts at like, uh, 2800 2400 I think. 24, okay. But it's, you know, it's a serious amount of money. It's more than most people spend on a laptop. Like and that's a base configuration. Most people right. are probably going to uh, you know, you're looking at probably most people who buy a 16-inch MacBook Pro probably spend $3000 easy. Um I think but that's it. That's your only option for a 16-inch MacBook. There is no there's never been a 16 or 15-inch, you know, $1200 MacBook. I think that's where they're going with the iMac is is that okay so they've got this 24 inch display it's much bigger noticeably bigger than the old 21 inch but what about the people used to the 5K 27 inch 
my guess is that there'll be a, the new iMac Pro will just be like the 16 inch MacBook Pro, where it's just that's that's the big iMac. It's 27 inches. Maybe it'll go up to 30 inches. I don't know. I, I speculated maybe they'd go to 30. Some a couple people are like, I don't know about that because 27 is exactly 5K. They're not going to make the pixels bigger. Who knows? Whatever, 2730, a bigger display. All of them are iMac Pros. They all have, you know, the ability to have more than 16 gigabytes of RAM, more than two terabytes of storage. But what chip is it? Is it the M1X? Is it, <laughs> is it, dude? But, and when, you know, like, when is it coming out? If they announce them at June, but they don't ship till later in the summer or the fall. Then does an M1X even make sense? Why come out with an M1X when the M2s are probably coming out later in the fall, right? Like, I, yeah, I don't buy the. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tip my hand, which is, um, you know, among the many thousands of books I feel like I've written, uh, "Take Control of Your M Series Mac" is my book about M Series Macs because <laughs> Joe Kissel and I are like, we're not going to name this M1 Mac right. because we don't know what Apple's going to do, and we figure I, I, I'm I'm on the favor of the M2. M1X sounds like the thing they do for incremental change. I think for a pro machine, it's going to be called an M2 because it's going to be a fundamentally different thing. So there might be an M1X that allows, oh, I don't know, like maybe it'll allow 32 gigs of internal memory or right. something. But um, there's been some good discussion about, you know, when you start to get above a certain size with a system on a chip, like you cannot just, you can't throw like a terabyte of RAM into a right. system on a chip. So an M2 that allow a, a pro, so I mean we can back this out right a, a pro system has to be able to have uh, enormous amounts of of RAM and should be able to have like four terabytes or eight terabytes of of storage because that's a reasonable thing from an SSD so if you do that you have to re-engineer the chip which means it's a next generation thing and the M2 almost certainly I doubt they'll put it in two configurations I mean I could be wrong but it doesn't seem to be their approach so the M2 will support some kind of external memory configuration so you can use uh, DRAM and uh, maybe it'll be user expandable because of the sheer difference of size people want. But that logic to me makes a lot of sense. And an an M1X, maybe in the fall, there'll be an M1X that drives the next generation of chip for specific machines. You know, maybe there'll be MacBook Air, you know, version two of it. Um, but an M2, I think, has to be the pro chip. And I mean, my logic could be totally wrong, but that does seem the way yeah, that but, Apple but then, likes to do its labeling. But then what What would be the next chip for next year's MacBook Air? If the M2 is for pros, see, that doesn't add up to me. Well, I mean, but it could be, I mean, that's, it could be the M1X. I mean, it could be an M1X yeah. like they've the, done before. Or we, but then you just, I mean, do you up cores in it? Like, I have a feeling there's a core, and I mean, sort of, it's, it's the issue of like cores... There's so much in the M1, and I realize it's not that different in some ways from what was in the in the A series. But but it's, um, I mean, do you you know how many cores do you need? And a Pro needs more cores, so we know that's going to be a new architecture, right? And what do they do to the you know they're already using the five nanometer process. Um, they've already got you know the neural geez, like all the things that are already in there. What is the next generation for a MacBook Air? It's going to be tweaks, and I don't know what those are going to be. It's, they're not you know they, maybe they'll be higher performance, uh, or maybe there'll be sixteen and thirty two gigabyte options on chip instead of eight and sixteen. Yeah, it's so the other way to look at Apple's in house chips, Apple Silicon, Mac, yeah. iOS and Mac, is to go by the actual cores. And they come out with new names yes. for these yeah. cores every year. So back in uh, a couple years ago, when they had the A12, they called the high performance cores Vortex and mm-hmm. the high efficiency cores Tempest. 
Then the A13 year, it was lightning and thunder for high performance, <laughs> high efficiency. And then last year with the A14, which is in the iPhones 12 and the iPad, the new iPad Air from last fall, Firestorm and Ice Storm. Firestorm oh, is high yeah. performance. And so that the the A14, two high perform two of the Firestorm, four of the high efficiency Ice Storm. The M1 goes four of each, but they're right. still it is the same cores, right? Like the right. it's like the 2020 cores. So that's the thing. It's like if they came out with like pro Apple Silicon Max, and they called it the M1X. M1 to me would mean the Firestorm, Ice Storm cores. Oh, interesting. From last year, and maybe they add yeah. more of them, right? So maybe it's sixteen cores instead of eight cores, and it's eight eight of each, eight eight high performance, eight high efficiency. I don't know how they want to mix and match them, but it would be weird if they came out with these with this these products that are completely under their control with their chips. To me, it would be weird if they came out with Pro uh, MacBooks, 16-inch MacBook Pro, and maybe the iMac Pro uh, with the M1X, and it's got more cores. But, and yep. so if you're doing Xcode, Xcode doubles in speed because you've got double the cores. But right. single-core performance would be worse than the new iPhone that's coming but, out in September? Yeah, yeah. This is So that's right. So there, I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're totally it is that an M2 has got to increase core performance. And so an M1X is... I think you're exactly right. Is quantity as opposed to uh, the like the core, the literal core, um, and also GPU too, right? I mean, eight core GPU right. is, or, uh, is great, but they could be putting a twelve or sixteen core one into a professional uh, into a pro model. Right. It doesn't seem. It does not seem that the GPU in these as as sufficient as it is for typical users' needs. It's not a pro GPU. You know, and leaving aside the whole issue of PC gaming and stuff, there's all sorts of professional reasons to want a better GPU. And it's also very, very, as much as Apple is milking, not milking, that's, that, that sounds too, uh, negative, but that they're, it's extraordinary that this M1 chip is both for $700 Mac minis and for $1,700 iMacs and also for portables. And it's great. It's not just like, oh yeah, it's a, it's a great desktop chip and you can use it in a portable. And it's like, oh, well, what's it do to battery life? Oh, it doubles I, your, it doubles your battery life. I remain, I've told people this a bunch. I've had the M1 MacBook Air for five months almost. And I still am in disbelief when I do a lot of things on it that it works as well as it does. Like I, it's almost like an ongoing marketing machine because, like you, I've used Macs for decades, and I've enjoyed some significant improvements in performance over the years. But this one is ridiculous. So every time I touch it, I'm like, that can't just have happened that fast. And, I, you know. The, the battery life thing amazes me. I, it's I, absurd. I typically keep uh, my Mac in my office, and mm -hmm. which is downstairs in the kitchens on the second floor. But I, I, was, I forget what I was doing, but I wanted to – be with the family, and so I had, took my Mac M1 MacBook up there, and I I didn't plug it in. I have USB C up there, but I didn't realize I didn't plug it in. I'd been up there like all weekend. I was like, "Huh, this isn't plugged in." I look at the battery, and it said like sixty one percent is still remaining, and I'm like, "What? Oh, oh, that doesn't make any sense." Get, get this though, you know what was added, and you're going to love this. In Big Sur eleven point three that just came out, you know what they they um they added that wasn't there before 
was um, hibernation for M1s. So it was getting that battery life with, unless you were, well, I don't know if you're running the beta back that far, but so it didn't have hibernation mode. So it got that battery life with just normal sleep mode. That's crazy. It's really uh-huh. insane. So with hibernation mode, I figure you could probably, you know, go around the world and, and you know, do like, yeah. I don't know, like 18 hours of use on the thing over 30 days and it would still have a charge at the end. It's the whole Apple Silicon story for Mac. And one of the things that to me is so exciting about it is that they've so successfully kept their cards close to their vest, right? Nobody knew what these, we were kind of hoping for iMacs last week, but nobody knew what they looked like. And ever somebody, you know, somebody said, ah, they're going to be in colors again. We didn't know what colors, you know, we didn't know how thin nobody was like, this thing looks like a giant iPad from the side. I mean, it literally is the thickness of the original iPhone. The whole thing is as thick as the original iPhone. It's crazy. Um, nobody knew what the initial lineup of M1 Max was going to be last November. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. it, it's it's all terribly exciting, and nobody knows what their story is with Pro IMAX, which is oh, I, super. I told my wife this. I said we don't know what's coming. Right, said, and this is what, and no one knew that the M when the M1 shipped, it was a shock to everybody. What exactly? And she's like, "That's not usual, is it?" I'm like, "No." Yeah. Somehow Apple's kept a tighter lips on this than any product they've released in, I don't know, how many years or decades. Right. Maybe because it's so different. But um, So here, here's here's my best guess, and I have no inside information about this at all. <laughs> I don't even know where I would go. I mean, I, I you know, John Turnus is not answering his phone when I call him to ask for <laughs> tips. But here's what I think, and, and I'm just, just mainly, mainly looking at the calendar yeah. and just thinking about the fact that the room for a pro tier of M1 is sort of running out because yep. the A15, which will have the same cores as the next generation M2, is absolutely, we all know, is slated for September. Now, whether it'll be late, probably not this year if it wasn't late last year with COVID, yep. but we know iPads or iPhones come out in September, or at least get announced then. And It'll be the new two cores. That's So I think they're running out of time. And I kind of think back to last year when they first announced this transition, and they did say it would be over the next two years. And I kind of chalked that up to a sort of institutional under-promise over-deliver, right? Let's say two years, but like when they did the Intel transition, they got the whole thing done in a year. They had the whole Mac mm-hmm. lineup done in a year with going from PowerPC to Intel. What if it really is two years? And in that two-year thing is that the M1, the first year of Apple Silicon for Macs, is entirely consumer-based. And it's with the year two where there'll be an M2 for consumer Macs, and then that's when we see the M2X, and that's the pro story. So you're thinking consumer, that there's a possibility April 2022 before there's a consumer M2 and then fall for a well, pro M2. I wouldn't be surprised if they can do the M2X later this year, but I'm thinking, you know, that maybe like, and I'm, I, you know, it seems like from the rumors and from what people are most, you know, what I know is popular and what people are waiting for, it's the 16 inch MacBook Pro that people really, really want. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I could see that, right. I could see them holding off on other designs, but then if they can do that, they could do anything, right? right. I mean, it's not a. Right. And a, then, a, it, you, know, you know, but then it gives them another six months to figure out what the, you know, because the, yeah. and then the, the, the other end, the the far end of the spectrum is how do they replace the Mac Pro, where you're you know the a, a fully spec Intel Mac Pro right now is insane. It's you know I don't know it's like five thousand cores. It's <laughs> but it you know and you can I mean you put terabytes of RAM into it. It's 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 nutty. 
Yeah. So it's a hard, got it, that's what I'm thinking. Right. It has to be a different, there's a different way yeah. of thinking about it than, I mean, you know, we, for years it's been like the iPad, an iPhone, and lower end, the consumer Macs were all kind of the same thing. And, and then the phones and iPads were outperforming. And now you have an iPad Pro that's using the same chip as, you know, the consumer Mac. So it's all in alignment now. Um, but the Mac Pro is, you know, just something beyond that. So it's got to be something. I mean, I, so that's the thing is, what if it's two years for the Mac Pro? Right. But it's not two years for, you know, a an iMac Pro and a uh, 16-inch yeah. uh, MacBook Pro and a refreshed 13-inch right. MacBook right. Pro. Right, exactly. Or at least a second tier, right? Like I, what I could see them oh, doing yeah. with the third. And, you know, there's rumors that they're going to 14 inches from 13 inches where maybe it'll go. Oh, and so yeah, maybe maybe, maybe they keep the 13-inch one around at a 1400-ish price point, but they come out with a Pro Pro 14-inch smaller MacBook Pro with the M2 Maybe the M2X, whatever. Uh, maybe it has to be the M2X because it goes to 32 or 64 gigs of RAM and it starts at $2,000, you know. Uh, but the, if you, oh, wow, yeah. well, I don't want to spend $2,000. Well, don't. Just, no, we got the, you know. Yeah, there's all the holes in the product. I mean, the product matrix has the holes in it. And I think it's, I mean, you know, as, you, as you've written about, I think quite eloquently, eloquently when reporters are like, well, they haven't made the decision about X yet. And you're like, it's two months. They made the decision like a year ago, guys. You know, come on. So they, they've either made M2 chips right. already or they're, you know, in mass production in the Well, that's the thing. The, the, there, are, there are tons of people at Apple who know everything we're speculating yeah, about here. Yeah. And they're all keeping their mouths shut. And I love it's it. It's amazing. It's amazing. No, I, lo- I love that. Uh no, I and I, I was I want to hit one of the consumer points though too though. It's just in passing is it's weird to me. This is uh, reminds me of, you know, it's not the Schneider cut level, <laughs> Schneider cut level of things, but it's like people are like how kind of a little bit of a oh, Apple's playing to the or how dare they make colorful Macs. I'm like you don't have to buy one. They have a, a as as uh, Jason Stell's calling it the the no color, right? There's seven it's six colors plus a non-color, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> yeah. so you can buy the non-color one. Um so I don't know. I but I think it's I think it's wonderful to see them trying something different after a lot of uniformity for a lot of years. And this is like the purple phone and whatever. People want to do things a little different. Apple's got its fingers on what people want. They, you know, they don't, we know they famously don't do uh, focus groups the way a lot of the industry does, but they listen to people. They listen to what, sat, what is it? The uh, Yeah, customer sat. Yeah, so they, they know that. And uh, so this is clearly something they think they want it, they can do. They can do, interestingly, um, the whole like accessorized thing all uh, being the same color is pretty neat. I am a Johnny Ive fanboy. I love the guy's work. I've talked to him a few times and he's always been charming and delightful mm-hmm. and, and truly interesting. And I think he's done wonderful work for Apple, did wonderful work for decades. But it's impossible not to see the post Steve Jobs era of Johnny Ive as chief design officer as a, clearly, I mean, there's stuff we can speculate on thinness and and other design decisions but the move towards monochromatic hardware mm-hmm. is undeniable i mean there's absolutely no denying that an, an awful lot of the product lineup went towards very true at johnny's terms honest you know that this is honest to the materials it's made of and aluminum looks like aluminum um you know, and, and, and trends and things go in waves. And who knows? Maybe if Johnny Ive were still there, it would be just as colorful, you know, and maybe these are just colors of IMAX that he signed off on before he left. I don't know. But 
it, it is very welcome to me. And again, if whether it's completely serendipitous with the timing of the disaster and, and melancholy of 2020, it, it really feels incredibly well-timed in a way that it almost might have felt inappropriate a year ago, right? Like, oh, God, yeah. Oh, my God. If they had... <laughs> Like, <laughs> if it released in like September or something, and yeah. you'd be like, "Oh, Apple, no, I not right now." Right? It's like one of my favorite gags of all time was from the the movie The Naked Gun. Right? Mm. You, you you have to be a fan yeah. of the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. But, so the, it's the part where uh, Leslie Nielsen's uh, detective. Oh man, what was his name? Uh, well, whatever his name was, Leslie Nielsen's detective character is falling in love with Priscilla Presley, and and there's this montage of hilarious scenes in there. And no matter what happens and where they go, they're just so happy and light on their feet, and they're coming out of a movie theater, and they're just laughing and holding hands and skipping, and the camera slowly pulls back, and everybody else coming out of the theater looks like they're coming out of a funeral, and you realize that they just went to see Platoon. Oh my God. Right? <laughs> that to me would have been like, you know, that's, that would have been like, hey, look at these cheerful, bright, colorful IMAX last year. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I think we needed everything to be sort of dark gray last year. I don't know. It feels very well timed and yeah. serendipitous I, or not. Can, can I call out, there's something that I am in love with with these that's not related to the Mac. It's the touch ID on a keyboard, on an external mm, keyboard. I, I should not have forgotten to mention that. It's, I just, cause I mean, years ago when they first released, uh, uh, secure, a secure enclave in an iMac, I was like, well, how are they going to do touch ID? They can't do it. You know, they can't do an external keyboard. I thought, oh, well, Apple's clever. They'll have some kind of, USB-based thing because they wouldn't trust it to blue. I don't know. And then it never appeared. Yep. And I thought, all right, maybe this is just a thing they can't do. You know, they don't want to have an ugly, they're not going to stick a Touch ID sensor on the front of your iMac you have to touch. That would be weird. And you're not going to do it with a Mac Mini and whatever. So I was like, okay, it's just never going to happen. And then this happened. And I was like, oh, they needed to redesign Secure Enclave so that it could accept like wireless, direct yeah. wireless connections, doing some kind of proprietary thing over uh, the uh, not the W, whatever their their wireless chip is. Yeah, the U one uh, maybe. The I U1, don't know. Yeah, so who knows? There's some. Yeah, so there's something going on where they control the protocol, they control the wireless right. thing, and Secure Enclave can securely do wireless communication because it's only for M one devices. And I thought that, I thought that's kind of cool, actually. Yeah, I, I would anticipate that. I don't know when it would come out. Maybe we have to wait a year. But you know how Apple always issues their security <laughs> state of Apple security white paper. Oh, yeah. I feel like learning how the if they can explain even in basic layman's terms how the Touch ID security works with the air gap. I, I it sounds fast, should be fascinating. Uh, I think you've talked about it on the podcast. The Apple platform security guy that came out in February. Yeah, that was. I mean, I recommend. Listeners, if you have any interest in how Apple does anything, that is one of the greatest documents Apple's ever produced. I could not have written my M series book without it because it digs into like boot modes. And, um, uh, this is just by the way also, but did you know, you might probably know this, you know that you can't, uh, if you're Macs, uh, that there's a, there are special hidden partitions you can't and should not erase yes. on an M1 Mac. Yeah, yeah. So if your M1 SSD dies, you cannot boot it up externally because the policy information for external boot is stored in hidden partitions on the internal SSD. And that's one of these super weird things. And you can sort of extract it from the platform security guide, but there's also like, there's a thousand other little interesting details, uh, in there that has helped me as an M1, as a writer, but also as an M1, owner, it just understanding how they pulled all this stuff off. Um, 
anyway, it's a fast, I, it's a fascinating read, and eventually, I hope they'll update it sooner than another year or two with this. I, yeah, that's what I, that's why I was thinking we may have to wait for it because I know it just came out a few, just a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, but it's you know. So what, I guess the other thing I, I would be doing our mutual friend John Syracuse disfavor by not mentioning the fact that these IMAX do not have Face ID. They've only you know their their only right. biometric is the Touch ID, which is optional. You have to pay a little bit extra for the keyboard i forget i think it's like 40 bucks yeah if you don't buy if you or do you it's if you buy the low-end model right. it's not included but if you buy but, so they have like three right, tiers standard yeah. models yeah three tiers yeah so, and it's unclear because the ethernet port they don't have the build to because you can't actually order them yet they don't have the build to right. order thing so you don't know can i just get the lowest end new imac right. and just upgrade the keyboard to touch id i don't know probably but um, but they, you know, that's the thing about going touch ID on the keyboard is it's apparently in lieu of face ID, uh, which I think would be slicker. Um, uh, but I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm overlooking something. Syracuse seems to think that they should just have face ID. You know, you're right in front of it. There's always a camera. I think there's, uh, if, I mean, I remember reading about the technology they're using. I think they'd have to develop different technology, although because they're not tapping, um, battery power to do it, they could probably do it. But I mean, I'm, it's, I think you have to be relatively close. So do you want to have to like lean, you know, like get closer to the camera, move your head? No, closer, closer. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But if, you're I don't know. Cl- but if you're close enough to touch the button on the keyboard, aren't you inherently close enough? I, I don't know. I would, well, you could have the keyboard far away. I think the distance, like I think I'm two feet. I have a tape measure. I'm currently, look, I can live measurement. I am currently, uh, yeah, about 24 inches eyeball from um from my imac screen as we talk and i think a lot of people are like 18 to 24 inches away typically so um that i think maybe the pro- well i've got the 20 i wonder inch. i wonder if it's not just that face id is by apple's you know tim cook's spreadsheet numbers just too expensive because the to me and to me the tell on that is that that new ipad air that was actually the first thing to have the a14 in it last september mm-hmm has touch ID on a button instead of face ID. You know, I figured that was, didn't you think that was pandemic era? Like that was a choice that was made for the pandemic that they didn't uh, want to add to the, you know, I don't th- see. The, I think that was too late. I think that I, I don't think that, you know, for a device that debuted oh, the iPad in, air, I'm sorry. No, yeah. you're right. No, that would have been too late. I was thinking the iPad pro. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, we know that Apple can do seemingly anything. So I, my suspicion is they would need, um, have to have a separate hole cut for an infrared camera in the, um, in the top where they already have that kind of built yeah. in the glass on an iPhone or an iPad. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I like Face ID. At first, I thought it was, I just did not get into it. And I was like, this is great. I said to myself just before we all had to put on masks for a year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just think, I just think it might be that Face ID is, you know, and when this, my, my hypothetical iMac Pro comes out sometime later this year, I would think whether it's, June or September or November, like one year after the first batch of Apple Silicon. I wouldn't be surprised if the iMac Pro, iMac Pro has Face ID. Oh, yeah, because then they can put in the extra buck right. fifty in cost of goods for right. for putting it. Yeah, and you know, and as we've said already, they we know in the lab somewhere there is an iMac uh, behind you know, steel doors that does Face ID because of course they're testing it, and they either it's the cost or maybe they decide the experience was too awkward in their scenarios or they wanted to i don't know maybe they're because you don't need 
it's weird because I think the it's just easier to hide into the experience and move your phone closer or farther away as necessary. Um, but it's also Touch ID is a generally good experience. It used to, you know, originally it was a little weird. Now it's so uh, incredibly reliable. I mean, I didn't own, I had the 2015 MacBook, so I didn't get Touch ID in a laptop until last spring. And um, I didn't really know I was <laughs> missing it as much. And now I'm like, oh my God, what was it like to have to enter my password? I'm like, well, I have an iMac that I use as my office machine. Yeah. So I'm I'm constantly looking at it. Like, my finger is moving to my keyboard that doesn't have Touch ID as my iMac is prompting me for a password. I'm like, oh God, i got to type my password in again. It's, so It seems barbaric, <laughs> unless you just restarted. <laughs> but, you know, barbaric. it does raise the question then of the one thing Apple has never done yet is ship any device that supports two methods of biometric authentication. Yes. They have Touch ID devices. And they have Face ID devices, and so far, ne'er the twain shall meet. If they were to make an M-class iMac with Face ID, or a MacBook Pro with Face ID, any Mac with Face ID, what would happen if you paired a Touch ID keyboard right, with it? Right. Would you, you know it? It's and it's sort of a tricky question. On the whole, in the long run. I think it's very obvious that our computers will be using more and more senses, for lack of a better word, to do all sorts of things. I mean, they use cameras for all sorts of things now. Now they're, they're using the, the the ambient light sensor on the phone to help you calibrate your TV, as we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. It, it, our devices are gaining senses. And the ways that a human recognizes another person, like if you and I, you know, ran into each other on the street, I, I would probably see you first. But if I heard your voice, I would know, hey, that sounds like Glenn, right? Multiple senses are good. So it, you know, face ID plus touch ID is in some sense better because it's certainly more secure if you were doing, you know, like, uh, something so secure, you know, updating the operating system and they wants to, check both face id mm-hmm. and touch id i don't know but what happens if it's like ah eh, in the middle do you get to choose you know if it's just like a typical oh you want to delete this one file and, and the finder wants you to authenticate before you move it to the trash do you get to do either it's tricky too because of like the negative matches too like i right. i'm constantly surprised because of mask wearing how often my phone's like, up? Oh, you got to enter your password. I'm like, I didn't, but I didn't look at you for a while. Why? So well, and it's the, very sensitive. And the other thing about Face ID is, hmm, wait, you nothing that happens with Face ID other than unlocking the device, which is where you just want to get in. But when it's mm-hmm. confirmation, oh, you want to confirm a purchase or you want to confirm the oh, destruction, you're always, you're always have always to looking. Well, no, you always have to double click a button. To, yeah, du- to make sure it doesn't happen by accident, right? Yeah. The worst thing you'd ever want is, is you, you go to trash this important sensitive file and the computer's like, well, let me double check with Face ID. Oh, he's, he's right in front of the computer. <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> Deleted, right? You, wink your, and so wink if, your right eye twice. Wink, and, wink, and that's okay. So if you have to confirm Face ID with some kind of button push anyway, well, yeah. then why not just have Touch ID on the button in the first place? Because then it's just the button. So yeah, there's, a, there's a part of me that says maybe Face ID is never coming to the Mac. Right, because what's the, I mean, the, the ease of Face ID is to not have to interact with, I mean, even with the buttons, but like to unlock or something. Right. Um, it's a it's a reduction in a, like inefficient interaction that could cause rejection. So like getting your finger, Touch ID works great, but you still have to, it's often a two-hand operation or you got your thumbs in the right spot, so it can be awkward. 
in a in a mobile device and face id is very efficient you know you yeah. hold it up even if you have to double click you do it one-handed and you just look at it you do the thing dupped up it's done when you're at a keyboard you're always you just rest your finger on touch id oh you want to confirm yeah. it you hold your finger down it says great done and um that it's a i think it's a simpler uh interaction for that modality uh because it's right the intentionality behind it but also just like where your hands and uh grip is related to what you're doing uh, so anyway, we'll see, you know, but it's unanswered question. Anyway, I, I would love, I know, and I know it would have been the answer to our face masking year is it would have been great to have iPhones that did both face ID and touch ID on the power button, right? Yeah. It's, you know, and maybe they'll come out with it. And it'll just be too, hopefully, hopefully too late for face masks. I was masks. just hoping they'd figure out a way. I, I think, I mean... I've read a lot about Secure Enclave, and I'm not a cryptographer, but I, I'd hoped that they would figure out a method of doing. No, I think. I mean, I think they've they built it into such a hard coded mode to avoid, uh, you know, government and criminal and whatever interception that they can't just say, "Oh, here's an update that lets you unlock your phone." Uh, without face ID or with a poor face ID mask, like right. eyeball face ID mask for 15 minutes after the last time you updated it. Like they just won't, I don't think they can do it. I'm not sure if they uh, would have done it if they could, but it may simply be a limit in how secure the th- system's designed. Yeah, it is. Inter- I, I know one thing I've heard from ever since face ID came out and I heard from during fireball readers who are me- medical professionals and they wear face masks, you know, in normal times. Um, and they say what a pain in the ass this whole thing has been. Um, and I know that culturally it, you know, it's, everybody knows now, but like in most of Asia in flu season, it's very common to see just, you know, normal years without a coronavirus pandemic, you just see lots of people wearing face masks. And again, the face ID was uh, met with objections there that in pre COVID us didn't exist. So it's interesting that it's on Apple's radar now as a, Oh yeah, this hits home to us. You know, it's just like anything weather related where it's like, Oh, sometimes the weather isn't like Cupertino 72 degrees and sunny. Huh? Yeah. I mean, this is, and also like, you know, what my future is, uh, I mean, I was, I was delighted, um, as I know you were the CDC bowed to uh, scientific wisdom and is relaxing the outdoor masking recommendations, by using science and clinical research. That's great. Uh, but for me, I'm like, well, I'm going to wear a mask like 10 months of the year, either outdoors or in congregate <laughs> settings from now on, because I have seasonal allergies. This last two years, I mean, look, I'm looking for bright linings, right? Any silver lining. Yeah. My allergies have been fantastic. And I saw my allergist a few months ago, and uh, he said, you know, you should just wear a cloth mask from, you know, February to June any year now. And it's, I was like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, it'll totally help you. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Who <laughs> just wasn't socialized have before. You see, have you seen the numbers on influenza in the U.S.? Oh, it, yeah. It, was it like 18 deaths in the entire season? Yeah, and I, it's something, it's just unbelievable. And the number of, and, yeah, and that's the other thing is I've had the flu twice in the last, uh, not you know, two and three years ago or three and four years ago. And once I got the kind that not only did I get it and then recover, I got I had side effects that lasted for four months. I got this terrible heart inflammation thing. Oh my which, god! Which, oh, it's, it's t- and you've talked to people have it. I recovered fully from it, but um, it's just it takes months to recover to get back to normal. And um, and I was like, God damn it! So I'm like, all right. So from February to June, I'm going to wear a mask for allergies, and then from I guess September to May, I'm going to wear a mask for flu. So I guess you'll see me in 
June, June and July, or July and August the without thing, a mask in the future because it'll be acceptable. The thing that's so startling about the influenza numbers, and, and they were so worried about it. They were like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. it could be a double whammy. But it's like the, the precautions we collectively took, even with all of the controversy over large yeah. swaths of America yeah. who didn't want to wear masks and, and businesses who, who wanted to reopen as early as they could. And as soon as the numbers came down a little bit, it's like, well, let's reopen everything. And then the numbers spiked back on all of that nonsense all year long, what we were doing was enough to completely, all effectively. I know not not zero point zero all the way, but zero point zero zero something. Yeah, yeah. Get rid of influenza. That shows you how crazy contagious COVID nineteen is, right? Yeah, that, yeah. But that, that, it's both it's both horribly contagious, and then like you know, it's like very contagious and not contagious. Like no fomite spread, basically right. no outdoor real outdoor transmission. So. Coronavirus only spreads in COVID nineteen right limited cases, but apparently the flu. If we all just took a little bit more care, we could have gotten rid of it years ago. It really is amazing that in the midst oh, of a man. pandemic, it's the first time I can remember where I've gone like I, I don't know fourteen, fifteen months now. I mean, because I, I I say yeah. fourteen, fifteen because I don't think I was sick early last year either, just by luck. But it's like I haven't been sick in a year. <laughs> It's crazy. Oh, Any- I know. There, there are there's silver linings in the middle of all the horror. It's like there are some things. There's also, I mean, you know, again, sidebar, but it's the all these things were like, well, there might be an effective HIV vaccine. There might be a vaccine yeah. against malaria. There might be. You're like, oh my god, you know, hundreds of thousands of people died here and millions worldwide, but perhaps uh, hundreds of millions of people will live in the next twenty to fifty years because of improvements that were discovered in the last two years. So there is something to look forward to in terms of global health. I mean, that's that's a good, if that outcome turns out to be true, and then hooray. All right, let me take one last break here. Thank our fourth and final bonus sponsor of the episode. Oh, and I, I do, I have a soft spot for these guys too, because they are the most regular sponsor of this show. It's my good friends at Squarespace. Squarespace is all in one service where you go to host, build, design, tweak, update a website. If you need a website or you know somebody else who's come to you for help because they need a website, I implore you to check out Squarespace. Spend just a couple hours seeing what you can do and how far you can go. Free trial. You don't have to pay anything. No credit card up front. You can totally get started to see what it's like. Do it. Templates to choose from, components to just drag and drop out into your website to build the site that you want, a design that can be customized completely to your own brand. You don't have to stick with the pre-built templates. Anything you could want, really, really great analytics. And by great, I mean like just a nice dashboard that makes total sense at a glance and not something that looks like an airplane cockpit. Like, I don't know what any of this is. Now, who's coming to your website from where, how often? Boom, they've got it. Really one of the best analytic dashboards I've ever seen. Great technical support, great prices. I can't recommend them strongly enough. Keep them in the back of your mind for the next time you or somebody you need, you know, needs a website. And you can go to squarespace.com to get started. And just remember this offer code, talk show. No the, just talk show. But when you check out after your 30-day free trial is over, you get 10% off. You could prepay for a year, save 10%. That's like, it's like getting a couple months, it's like getting a month for free. Unbelievable deal. My thanks to Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com slash talk show. And remember that code talk show for more information. All right, we're running long. Shocker for me what? and you. To- <laughs> Unbelievable. iPad Pro. That's what, uh, last but not least, that was Apple's last announcement. Uh, 
I sort of have the least to say about it because it's like I, I expected them to say it has the A14X. I, in my mind, what an A14X is isn't really different from the M1. So now that I yep, think, yep. I'm like, why did I even think that? Because like I told you, I knew it was going to have A14 caliber cores, the Firestorm and Ice Storm. Uh, because it's the iPad Pro, of course it would be for high performance instead of just too high performance, and it would have an eight-core GPU instead of a four-core GPU. And that's the M1, right? And what other, what else is there? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's Thunderbolt, right? Well, the iPad Pro can use Thunderbolt, so they it's Thunderbolt slash USB four ports. So for yeah. the high performance, I mean, for all everybody was like the Mac is going to become an iPad. It turned out the iPad became a Mac. It's the <laughs> And here's my question. Let me ask you a provocative question. So why not? I mean, it's not that provocative. Why not have a macOS compatibility layer on an iPad? That's what everybody's talking OS. about, right? That's, I mean, it could, maybe they would do it. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, so It'd many be really people, weird. There, it's 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 like this. There's this whole. I haven't linked to them yet, but there's like I have a whole built up stash of links to what I'm calling the the iPad malcontents, and it's not people who are outside the iPad ecosystem complaining about this thing they don't use, you know, like, like if I were to complain too much about windows or PC Mm -hmm. users complaining about the Mac and you're like, you don't even know what it is. No, I'm talking about people like Jason Snell and uh, uh, people who, who, who use the iPad full-time for work are the ones who have the most astute criticism of it in, in, in this spectrum of, this is the best hardware I own. I love it. I love so much about this device as it is, but yet I, there's, there's software on the Mac that is so much more powerful. Why can't I use that on the iPad? And is it a, is the answer a Mac compatibility layer? I mean, I know that the one Verge, I forget who wrote it, but the Verge story was like, just, just put Mac OS on iPad or something like that. Well, um, right. And that's, I mean, right. That's would be them. I mean, Apple will never capitulate. I don't think ever. I say, I say never. And then it's like, we'll never put TV on an iPad or iPod. Right. right? Um, it's, I don't know that Apple wants to release a touch screen Mac, even though the iPad Pro with a keyboard is so very close to a touch screen Mac. So right. what is, what is the difference? But I think. Just the way they said we're going to have an iOS and iPad OS, I think Mac OS will remain disparate or different. The, the thing is, it comes down to the Mac App Store, right, and locking down the app. So if Apple makes it possible to run Mac OS apps on an iPad Pro, I cannot believe they will let you run arbitrary side-loaded apps. will right. all only be Mac App Store apps that you can run. Right. And then that immediately rules out a bunch of the professional apps people are talking about. And I know there's a bunch of professional apps that are in the Mac App Store, but there are some prominent ones that are not. And, right. you know, it, it does, does that make it worth it, them doing it now to do that? Probably. I don't know. I, mean, I don't think it suddenly opening up an iPad audience doesn't make it worthwhile for them to become part of the App Store it's, environment. iPad as exemplified by the iPad Pro in particular, because it's, you know, it's, it's truly puts, it's not just pro meaning more expensive or nicer. It's pro meaning has truly professional specs, right? These, these, these iPads go up to 16 gigabytes of RAM now. They're, they're actually two terabytes of storage. Right, they're, they're you tell, tell, what was the, the they're, previous they're, limit was 512 gig or Glenn, something? Or? Glenn, they're so pro that they're telling us how much RAM is in them. <laughs> right? <laughs> Okay, that's, right? that's hilarious. That's, I, 
that's it. But they are in a weird oh my space God. that no that's Apple computer story. has ever been in before. I mean, yeah. here here's this thing that is 11 years old platform, and you still can't write iPad software on an iPad. Not even close. There's nothing. I mean, who knows? Maybe this is the year where they announce Xcode for iPad, you know, and, and this is a, a, a lament that only has five weeks of life. I don't know. Uh, but it is, that's weird, right? I mean, and. No, and, it's totally weird, but that's when you need the M2. I mean, you need a pro M series chip to do Xcode. I, I don't. I mean, I don't, not really, but maybe. I don't well no because we know that the M1 it's a great developer machine on No, you're right. You're right. So everybody who has one on a Mac already loves it and and most Xcode projects are way faster. <laughs> I know I have a friend with a pro, oh I have a God. friend who has an app that actually compiles slower and he's like I must be the weird exception. But for the most part it's faster. It's, no, it's this, this thing that drove me crazy about I had my iMac I actually just switched to an, an external SSD finally a Thunderbolt based one for my iMac at a Fusion drive and it just took me forever and and it's whatever. So I was infusion was generally fine except for certain apps. So I got the M1 and running Creative Cloud, like launching Photoshop and using it on my M1 with 16 gigs was, you know, orders of magnitude faster than running Photoshop on a quad core 2017 iMac. I'm like, oh, for great, you know, what did they in emulation? And I'm like, oh, come on. So yeah, I can imagine how the developers feel with Xcode because it's such a hog. I've seen, you know, and like Photoshop comes up a lot because there is Photoshop for iPad. Apple even showed it off yeah. in the, in the iPad Pro thing. And I hear, I bring this up, or or I didn't even have to bring it up. And people who read my site watch the show, and they're like, "That's not real Photoshop. I well, I I need yeah. real Photoshop. Why can't I have real Photoshop?" And it's like they have Photoshop for M1 now. It doesn't have all the features yet, but yeah. they have a you know. So that's essentially Photoshop for iPad that's not on an iPad. Yeah, like how how hard is it to recompile? I I, I just or custom target it. Now? I just can't help but feel that it is sort of it. It, it we just have to accept the uh, incompleteness of of the story. You know, it, it's, yeah, you're right. It it doesn't all add up, but it's sort of to me. It's sort of like the thing with the Apple TV hardware, where people are like, "Well, two hundred bucks is way too much, too expensive compared to Roku's." And Apple's pushing the TV app all over the place, so they should lower the price. That that they can't just make another Apple TV that costs one hundred eighty dollars. And it's like, no, yeah, they can, and that's fine. And it's like you, they can't just keep shipping these incredible iPad Pros and not have software like the Mac Mac caliber software like where's final cut pro right what's the point of putting the uh, pro display xdr caliber micro led thing in the 12.9 inch ipad well if it's such a great thing like for color correction why is there no final cut for ipad uh, right right uh, and once but here's the thing is once i mean maybe this is there's always like the reverse trojan horse or something i don't know what you want to call it where with every developer working to create arm compatible m1 targeted uh, versions of their Mac apps, then suddenly they have software that works on the iPad, more or less. Right? <sighs> I just don't more see it, less. though. I don't see it. I, I just don't see them adding AppKit to iOS. I mean... But, but they could just... They could have a way to make it easy. You've written your... You've written... You don't have, you don't have to run... You don't necessarily have to run Mac OS apps in, uh, in iPad OS, but you can have M1 targeted apps that are designed for Mac OS that are easy to then make iPad OS versions of, but only through the App Store, right? I mean, it sort of happens today a bit, but I mean, that seemed like some of the issues going on with Catalyst and I know all these various, 
uh, efforts to provide some kind of platform synthesis, but it's weird that the iPad winds up being the the loser in that scenario and not the Mac. I I don't know. Uh, you know, and is it the loser? It's certainly it, the iPad overall overall sells in much higher quantities than the Mac overall. No, There's, no, you're right. I just mean in terms of the software experience, yeah, right? It's all right. these things the the professionals. I I think you're right. Is I mean, when I look at this now, it's like, what is an iPad Pro that is not a Mac? And it's like it has cellular connectivity built in, which Apple has never put into its its Macs for whatever reason. Uh, and it's got better, you know, it's got camera stuff. It's got better cameras front and back and. And whatever, and a lot of the rest of it is like is not really you know there's nothing else that's that different anymore. We get more ports in a Mac, typically. So yeah, it's like what isn't what is an iPad for when it's so close to a Mac? Now it is a different animal, but what is it for? I don't know. It's uh, you know, and again, <laughs> I, I just kind of feel like the way that it is. Maybe oh. this is it. There is no other shoe to drop, and this is just it, it, at this many years in. Maybe just accept that. Yeah, it's you know, there's a lot of stuff. You know, the the Safari and Notes and Apple Mail. You know, it all sort of works, but. I mean, even, you know, Apple Mail, there, it's, maybe that's a bad example. Like, why in the world with Apple Mail on iPad can you not set up smart mailboxes? I love smart mailboxes. Yeah. yeah. Can you not still not caption photos in photos for iPad OS? I think it's possibly maybe true you that can. you can. I, I don't now know. Now you can, right? But it took until recently, I want to say Latin, maybe it's iPad OS 14, iOS 14. Right. But yeah, there's, there's weird, weird absences. Weird gaps and um, the smart mailbox thing kills me. I live, I live yeah. by a smart inbox that I, I just set up with all of my inbox mail from seven days, and that's the one I try to zero out. And then you know, because I've got tens of thousands of other unread emails from 10, 10 15 years. Oh, but yeah. if, but for the most part, you know, I consider my inbox empty if my seven days of email smart mailbox is empty. Well, you can't do it on an it, iPad. Smart albums and photos also. You can't yeah. use those. It's it's they have the powers there, right? the processing's there. Why can't we And it doesn't do it? yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean I think that is it's I mean I will say that again though. It's like what you know, what is an iPad Pro for when it's so close to a Mac with similar specs? And it's it's a different experience still because of the I mean the touch element, the pencil capability, right. the portability, the built in cellular aspect. Um, the fact that you can detach a keyboard at will or not use one at all. I mean, all of these things are differentiations, but iPad OS doesn't live up to Mac OS is what I, I mean. I'm not a full time iPad user, uh, partly because I found I, I'd rather be on a Mac. I know I've got two different sizes of Macs, basically, you know, an iMac with an external a 5, 5K iMac with an external 4K monitor, uh, and a laptop. And I switched between those because I did not find my iPad experience worthwhile enough to not have basically a laptop, a Mac laptop. Right. That's why I find it so credible from people like Jason and um, I forget who else is in my queue has these complaints, but people who really do use it. Like I'm more like you, probably even less. Like I, I find myself so much more productive on the Mac. It, it just it just works with my brain. And I'm not saying this to put the iPad down, but I no, actually no. have found in the last year since they came out with the trackpad support in iPad and the Magic Keyboard in particular, I found that, that I would lose hours a day working on my iPad in the kitchen because it was so much better and so much more useful for a lot of the stuff I wanted to do because I had this trackpad and a magic keyboard. And then I would think about it and think, you know what, though? I just keep a lot of my work when I'm working on my iPad is sending 
things into a to-do list to do when I get to my Mac. And if I had just, mm-hmm. if I had just spent the last 90 minutes on my Mac, I would have just done them. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like that That's trap. It's it's that yeah. trap that any to do system can fall into, where you feel like you're, you're. I'm totally organized. I've got my whole life in this list, but it's like you're not actually doing it. You've just put everything into a list, and it's like that's how I often feel when I spend too much time doing anything other than just reading on my iPad, which I do love for comfort and for just shifting my posture and going to a different room. But if I really try to do anything else, I, I'm I find myself far more hamstrung. But I know other people feel otherwise, and they feel like it, like their mind has been freed when they're on the iPad. But yet, you know, it, it, there's just so little headroom for power using on iPad, right? I, I mean, smart mailboxes are a perfect example. I'm sure whatever the percentage of all Apple customers who've ever created a smart mailbox on their Mac is very low. But it's a great feature, it's you know that they have, they've got the code. I mean, the right. code works on both platforms. They could right. just and use, we know they, they can, put the right, code there, right? And now that part of the frustration, I think that it's coming out by calling it the M1 and not calling it the A14X. It's just rubbing it in your face that you know the device is capable of doing it very quickly, <laughs> right? You right. can see how fast. Anyway, I don't know. I was going to talk to you about NFTs, but I'm out of energy. No way. Forget it. I don't Wait, care. Here, here it is. So here's what my kids do before I go to bed. Like, you know, before they go to bed, uh, you know, my kids go to bed relatively early. We've, we've somehow managed to make that happen. And uh, their trick is if they want to stay up later, they're like, Dad, explain uh, blockchain to us. Oh. <laughs> you <laughs> know like, All right. Let's start with the – no. The, not, here, wait. I'll give you my one sentence All thing. Right. A non-fungible token is like a post-it note that says, I owe you one art. <laughs> And it's a, it's a signed post-it note. Uh, if you're, yeah, sure. <laughs> as long as you keep that, as as long as the post-it note doesn't fall off the refrigerator, you own that art. <laughs> there you go. All right, all right. <laughs> we, we we squeezed it in, Glenn. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, what do we so want to? Where do we want to send people to read uh, more of your fine work? Oh gosh, let's see. Well, I've uh, been finding stuff over at MacWorld.com. As usual, remember when people used to get excited about CMSs, John? We oh, talked about content yeah. management systems. Oh. And that was the thing. There's a new. They switched over to WordPress over there, and actually, it's delightful because WordPress is now not bad. Um, so, uh, so easier to post articles there. Uh, so, MacWorld.com. Uh, I still got some tiny type museums. To uh, most of them are sold, but uh, there's a handful of them. Where, and where left can available. people where can people find the tiny type museum? Tiny I have type museum. TinyTypeMuseum.com. I have one. I was just looking at it. Uh, you yes. technically got you technically got number one, you know. Really? Yeah, I, I, I was pet friend. I you got the one. I mean, so they're not number. It's one yeah. of a hundred ish. Like there's a I had this. There's a shipping issue, right? So I figured we had to make uh, the my collaborator who made the wooden cases, which are amazing. We had to make a little more than a hundred in case something went wrong, right? And she was going to get one. I have a couple, and so there's a few above a hundred. But we were like, what if something goes wrong in shipping? It seems like it's really likely. So if someone's museum was destroyed, they were insured. But I'm like, I'm not going to just say, sorry, I'm giving you your money back. That seems horrible. So we made some extras. So we have, it's technically an addition of 100, and then we have just a handful more, and I've shipped uh, 90, well, 95 of them so far sold. And a couple people, for reasons that are unknown to me, gave me money and have not given me their address after two years. 
that's their prerogative. Um, anyway, so there's a handful. Like once I've shipped a hundred or sold a hundred, then I've got a handful more. But anyway, there's there's only like uh, I don't know. There's like a handful left in the world. Like uh, like nine, probably the most that I could ever sell at this I point. Got left. I for the first time in my life, I have a, an office, home office with nice built-in ooh, shelves, ooh. and oh. uh, it, the tiny type museum has a prominent space of honor. Oh, that's nice. I give you a G, right, or a J. Uh, there's a big wooden letter. I this forget. is one of the one of the bonuses is if you tell me your initials, which people have done. I've yeah. tried to find some nice wooden type. There, I got a piece. You know, people wood think, type. It's like, oh, sorry. I think I got a G. A G. If wood type is, um, oh, I think I have some nice Gs, as you can imagine, with my name. Um, wood type is this amazing thing because it was really made mostly from the mid 1800s to like 1980s, but mostly in kind of this one century period. And it's just all kind of jumbled up. Some people have preserved collections, and some stuff was just thrown away or used for firewood. And um, so you go on eBay, and you can buy mixed lots of it. And so I bought tons of it in order to have good sets to send people and examples and whatever. And I'm digging through one piece, and some wood type is stamped with a metal stamp on the side with the foundry. And it's, I get this one piece. It's a lowercase umlauted U. And I look up the code, the name, because there's people who do this thing and they research. You can find all the stamps of every wooden type company, including the different periods. And I'm like, oh, this piece of type was made in 1869 in Geneva. And there's something, I don't know, so weird. And it looks just like a piece of type I have here that was made probably in like 1950 in, you know, Wisconsin. And anyway, there's just something so wonderful about that where it's just like this ordinary object. Like, this is 150 years old. Well, that's... That's really cool. It looks great. It's held up. It doesn't didn't get outdated. Don't install any new firmware. It's just a U. All right. Well, anybody who wants one, I can I can vouch for it. It is. It, it, it's also a sort of thing. It's not for everybody, but if you think it's for you, it is for you because it is exactly what you think it is, and it's that just is this delightful little package of this little hero set of. It was given as a gift to more people than I would have expected, and a few uh, people donated it to their universities or bought them for university teaching collections um the other thing i i always appreciate is uh take control books it publishes mm-hmm. all my technical books and so we did this m series book um because i was writing a, a book about securing your mac we updated a book that was a few years old and dug into all the new security stuff and kind of the new sort of apple apple is doing so much physical security of devices now they have to kind of rethink their yeah. whole whole orientation towards security the the m series book is a, i i would really really recommend it i love it's very kind of the take control people i i think i've somehow been lifetimed into a like, oh yeah like new books come out and i just get them but i read that one and it's so interesting because as a long time and i'm sure this applies to so many people who listen to my show as a long time mac user everything i know about how to troubleshoot <laughs> A Mac is out the door. It is all new key combinations. It is, it's, it's all been rethought and all for the better, but it, 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 there's an awful, you should read the book because there's an awful lot of, and, and because it's the sort of stuff you want to know before you need to know it. Yeah, and I wrote this because it was doing the securing book in like January or December, January, and I kept coming up with stuff that was like, oh, but not in the M1. Oh, but not in the M1. I'm like, oh, there's a book worth of M1 stuff. Tell me if you come across this because this is the weirdest one is I'm digging around. And you know Howard Oakley who writes uh, Eclectic Light yes. is his website? Yeah. Who Howard is the nicest person, it turns out. Had a lot of incredibly pleasant interactions with him lately. And he's, and he's such a knowledgeable person and generous with his information. And I'm not sure – Anybody else in the world outside of Apple seems to know or document as much about APFS and the M1 and boot modes than he does. So he's the place I go to. Anyway, 
<laughs> I'm I'm digging around. I think in the Apple platform security guide, and I I'm reading Howard's site, and I'm like, wait, what's fallback recovery OS? So you know, Apple's now sort of calling Mac OS recovery is now recovery OS. That's sort of the term only used in the platform security guide. So in your M1, there's not just a recovery mode, recovery partition. If that fails, there's a backup one that you can trigger, but it's kind of like the AB things on a spaceship. You know, they send probes off and there's two, you know, just in case one of the computers fails. So we actually have two recovery partitions in case one gets corrupted. You've got a backup one that has to, has slightly different features, but it'll, it'll work seamlessly. And if it boots, it'll actually restore the other one, and then switch and become the main one. And you're like, what the, you know, this is just hidden in the M1s, and there's very few circumstances, hopefully, under which you'd have to deal with it. Yeah. And then Apple had that whole thing about reviving or restoring firmware, which is available in Intel's. I had no idea about it. Intel Max, and it's uh, just as weird on M1s. But anyway, uh, it's <laughs> it's a great journey, And uh, but even things like, uh, you were talking about uh, keyboard shortcuts for starting up. The boot modes on a M1, there's like five boot modes, and there's like 14 on Intel machines. That's insane. But, but it's great, because it's less you have to deal yeah, with. But that's what you need to do. And I love the Take Control books. They're just great. But much like my my comment about modern streaming television show needing to have episodes of not of a set length, uh, I, the one thing I love about Take Control books is that they're always of the length they need to be and no more. Whereas, and I know you know this as a longtime book author, it used to be that, oh, oh, you know how people, you know how people buy a book when they need a computer book? They go into bookstore and they look for the thickest book with the subject on the, that they're looking for on the spine and figure that's the best book and buy it. And it was a Mac Bible sold. (laughs) There was this race to have the most pages and that's why, you know, your tiny type museum is on one side of my shelves. On the other side are all of my old computer books, most of which oh, are, yeah. most of which look like phone books. Um, oh, it's sweet. <laughs> yeah. That's a, and, and just by the way, I am working on take control of cryptocurrency. Uh, so oh. you will get an, you will get an NFT explanation eventually. This is, this is Joe and I, we realized, uh, and I think the book, you know, there's, um, I had a friend who was, uh, was a colleague, uh, worked across the hall of place I was at who, um, she uh, was a home birth uh, midwife, and she eventually left midwifing because she she realized she got so many people coming in who she felt were not qualified from a safety and health perspective to give birth at home that most of what she did was tell people, I, I don't give birth at home. And she found that too depressing, so she went to a different field. And I'm like, this cryptocurrency book may actually wind up being a lot of reasons why you should never invest <laughs> right, in right. cryptocurrency, but I'm going to be honest about it. And if you want to understand how it works, it's going to say it. And then it's like, okay, with all of this in mind, here's how you can do it safely and intelligently and you, and whatever. But I, as I go through it, I'm like, man, am I just going to write a book that's like, hey, just don't do this. I, I don't think it'll Did you that, see the but. story? I, a couple of weeks ago, the Washington Post had a story about some poor guy who who had a bunch of Bitcoin and put it on like a, it, it put it on a USB device that's meant like a Bitcoin oh, currency yeah. holder. Yeah. And the Bitcoin went up in value to like $600,000. And then he, he went to the app store and the, the, the context of the story is, Hey, you think you can trust the app store? Well, this guy went, the company who made this device that it's like for your self storage of your Bitcoin. Yeah. They don't need, they don't even have an app, but some scammers made an app with their company name. I don't know what it is, Trexor or something like this. So he thought it was legit. He, he put into it his backup key to his Bitcoin, which is like only supposed to be used in recovery if you lose the device and they stole all of his Bitcoin. 
Uh, I, I felt bad for the guy, but I point, Josh Centers told me this. Josh Centers of Tidbits, right. who's looked into this and those devices, he said that's the key that they tell you to never enter anywhere right. for any reason. Right. And he entered it into an app, so right. he was ripped off. He is the victim, and I'm right. not blaming him. But he did use the key that they said never do this with the key, and so he he still is a crime victim. But he 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 did he did do the thing you're not supposed to do. You're never ever ever supposed to do it. But he plugged it yeah. right in. But it's also the case that you're not. It's too complicated. That this is why. Oh yeah. I, this is why I don't. You they, like when you we don't keep our checking accounts on USB devices in our home. You know, we go to oh a God. real bank. You know what I mean? And, uh, well, if you had cash, if you had $600,000 in <laughs> in $100 bills, you would do a much better job protecting it than than this guy did with you'd never act the way as as loosey goosey with the bitcoin it'd be like it it's like if he kept six hundred thousand dollars in cash in a mailbox in front of his house and then you know and just had like a padlock and then somebody was like well i need to do service on this can i have the key to the padlock he's like here you go no, you know the here's one of the things about bitcoin is there are billions maybe tens of billions of dollars at the current exchange rate that are lost forever yeah. because they're locked up i met this guy years ago and i was writing out a Bitcoin story for The Economist. I'm sure we talked about it in my Bitcoin episode with you a few years ago. And um, it turned out he was generating in his little apartment because of a fluke in timing about equipment availability, like some significant single-digit percentage of all Bitcoin mined in the country, or in the world, sorry, was being generated in that guy's apartment for just a brief period of time. Right. And he said, oh yeah, I've got these hard drives, They, they you know, this is my cold storage, and, um, and they've died. And uh, I can't recover the data off them. And they had like I don't remember how many bitcoins it was, but by today's right. dollars, it might have been hundreds of millions of dollars right. today. And I'm just thinking about it's such a weird thing. It's like, well, I put my money in a flammable bag, and if I if I don't enter the key right, then the bag catches on fire and all the money's burned up forever. I, I don't think that's a good way to keep money. It's like the Bruce Schneier remark that <laughs> you know that it's so many people think like the worst thing you could possibly do with an important password is write it down on a piece of paper. Because piece of paper, uh, that seems oh, yeah. terribly insecure. And Bruce Schneier's argument is no, we're, we're actually very, very good at keeping, if you know you have important information on an important piece of paper, we're naturally evolved to know how to protect it and keep track of it and put it in, oh, this is where I put important pieces of paper and that's where it is and keep it safe. And it's almost certainly more secure than anything a layperson could ever do digitally, right? Totally, totally. Uh, I, I I I remember there was a story a couple of months ago or a year maybe a year ago about people who've lost access to their bitcoins and there was one guy who had tens of millions maybe more maybe hundreds of millions and whatever contraption he had used to store them limited the number limits the number of guesses. Oh, he I read that. Yes, and he's like near. He's got like ten guesses and he's used eight. <laughs> And honest to God, I mean, it would drive anybody insane. I, 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 I mean, I think I'm relatively very well balanced emotionally and and mental health wise. If that were me, I, I would. I, I think they'd have to lock me up. I mean, that would be. Yeah, I, yeah it, they said you're going to lose twenty million dollars if you enter this code wrong. I mean, it's it's life changing. And he sort of has some guesses. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. he kind of thinks. You know what I mean? Like the way that a lot of us have certain 
combinations and ways that we make when you get to make your own password, which you really probably shouldn't do anymore. But, yeah. you know, you have some ideas about old passwords, you know. Oh, my God. It, and it's it's like, I don't know, did I, did I use a zero instead of an O? Was it, or did I use the three instead of the E? Uh, no, it's, a, it's a terrifying thing. And, it's not, and we're reading these stories all the time. I mean, right. you know, this is one of the, and we won't get into this right now, but it's the, one of the things that's weird about cryptocurrency is I think the total value of all that outstanding is valued at two, like almost $2 trillion now, I think. Um, but it's a weird thing because it's not really, I mean, it's, that's the exchange rate. So it's at some level, it's worth nothing. Unlike fiat currency, which is backed by the full faith and credit right. of a government where, you know, the government's going to demand your taxes in that money and they're going to pay you in that money and they're going to pay all their debts in that money and so forth. So there is some basis, whatever it is, of fiat currency, but, but it is that thing. It's like you could have a run in the bank. It's like if everybody tried to cash out their Bitcoin at once, it's worth practically nothing. Um, so it's this weird, like, um, quantum superposition of like, you know, your money's worth a huge amount of money and the, your, your Bitcoin's worth a huge amount of value if you can access it. And then if yeah. you can get it through an exchange system and retrieve, it in a you know fungible form, but um, but yeah, it is. I feel like we're going to have a story every day about somebody who had you know yeah. one Bitcoin or fifty or whatever. Yeah. Do you have uh, any? You, you, have, one, you have any the sushi guy, right? The guy got paid. He let he let people pay in su- for sushi. Oh yeah, yeah, at, yeah. And, and he is, and they were able to retire, I think, because yeah. they had so much Bitcoin left over. I've also read. I remember reading a story about somebody who, like, as a gimmick for for the press, bought pizza with Bitcoin, and in like yeah. in hindsight, it's now it's like. I don't know, like five. Oh yeah, like sixty thousand dollars or fifty. Yeah, sixty thousand dollars in today's money. And he's like, I had like, he's like like forty dollars in Bitcoin. I bought like forty dollars in Bitcoin several years ago and totally forgot about it, and it's gone. And I don't know if it was stolen or I trans. Donated, I probably donated it to somebody back then or whatever. But I'm like, well, that would have been like eight thousand dollars now or whatever. It was. I did the math of what when I bought it because I found the receipt, and I was like, well, you know, that's not life changing. But I'm still like, I had. <laughs> This is John. You know, I missed the domain name rush. I, I yeah. kind of missed that. Like, I was registering domain names in nineteen ninety four, I think it was, and some of the domains I registered were later sold for vast amounts of money. I did not receive the vast amounts. I received some <laughs> commissions. I got I got a little money at the domain thing, but I'm like Bitcoin. That's the one I missed. Bitcoin. I should have bought like ten Bitcoin for ten dollars and never sold them. Right. Yeah, I kind of regret that I didn't either. Just a little, you know, just <laughs> put, next, I don't know, put a couple hundred the next bucks. One. In. We'll we'll get the next one for yeah. sure. All right, Glenn. It's good talking Pleasure. to you. Oh, Pleasure really, really, really did enjoy it. Um anyway. Oh, I I would be remiss if I didn't tell people about your Twitter and also warn them about your <laughs> double double edged sword. Double edged sword. Glenn F G with two N's. Glenn F on Twitter. But uh be ready. It's a lot. Anyway, I, I, I backed off. 